What's going on, everyone? It's an episode of PandoCast. We're here to talk about Kaladesh. And with me are two guys that respond with pretty good to the question, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Cody and Kevin. What's up? Oh, that's us. It's Cody and Kevin. Hey, there I am. I'm Cody. I'm Kevin. And I'm Rob. I'm hosting it. I'm also running the computer over here, so I'm going to be looking over here more than right there. Um, it's PandoCast. We're reviewing Kaladesh. Because the set's out. We're going to talk about our top eights. We're going to talk about uh, the masterpieces. We're going to talk about the future of magic. So let's get right to it. Well, I don't see if I can do this. Cody. Ooh, that was real smooth. <laughs> uh, my first card on my list, coming in at number eight, is going to be Gonti, Lord of Luxury. All right. Let me read this thing. It was already on your screen. Dang it. I've already failed. Yeah, we'll Good thing it. this is just audio. Anyway, Gonti, Lord of Luxury, is two black-black. It's a legendary creature, Aetherborn Rogue. It's a 2-3. It's got Death Touch. When Gonti, Lord of Luxury, enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards of target opponent's library, exile one of them face down, then put the rest on the bottom of that library in a random order. For as long as that card remains exiled, you may look at it, you may cast it, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any type to cast it. Cody, why is this your number eight? So I had to put him on my list primarily for EDH reasons. I don't think he's going to see a shred of standard play, zero modern play, and just dear God no in the legacy realm. Uh, I just think he's going to make either a cool card that's going to be in the 99, or I think he's going to be a pretty solid general, because he doesn't do anything inherently crazy, but it is just kind of cool that he plays like that normal like Empress Galena strategy, where he takes control of what everyone else is trying to do. And that's what I think is kind of cool about him. Is he, he brings that into Mono Black, which Mono Black has in cards like Ink Eyes, Servant of Oni, where it's playing things out of other people's graveyards, whereas he allows to actually play off the top of their deck. And I think it's just a pretty neat and unique effect. And I like his name. He's Lord Luxury. He's yeah, he is. Form. I mean, we are just talking about this, but I'm a little bit of a hedonist myself, so I enjoy that whole Yeah, approach. apparently. I think the only thing that makes him better for you is if he was a rogue, or not a rogue, a demon. He is a rogue. Yeah, I'd be all about the demon. I think there's only one in the set. It's the mythic one that's like an energy sink for, I think when it ETBs, it gives everything like minus two, minus two. Now, why do you think he's, he's not any good in standard? Is he just like, it's not enough? It's too much for what he does? Or? <coughs> he spends his time being really slow and cute, and he just has a terrible body for that. Okay. You know, I'm not getting an efficient beater. I'm not getting something with immediate board impact. I mean, we have more powerful things we can be doing for four mana than getting a 2-3 with that touch, who has a janky ability to get a little bit of card advantage. Gotcha. And right. Commander's just the perfect format for jank. Loves it. That's true. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Kevin. What's your number eight? Got this uh, secret list here. Yeah, your secret list. Uh, my number eight is Insidious Will. Insidious Will. Oh, I like this one. Two blue blue. It's an instant. Choose one. Counter target spell. You may choose new targets for a target spell. Or copy target instant or sorcery spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. Why do you like this card? Why is it number eight? Um, so... If you've seen my previous uh, list for the last set, and as you'll see through this list, I'm a commander player at heart. Mm -hmm. All I do is play the casual format of the gods. Um, gods are really good in that format. Oh, they are. <laughs> Even the bad ones. Yeah. Um, and basically one thing about commander is 
Cards that are modal are usually very good just because they're flexible. I don't have to play this card the same way every game. It gives me more options, it's more utility and how you can use it. Um, I like this one because it's a four drop counter spell, which is kind of meh, but I mean like that extra cost though lets me, you know, change the target of a spell. Um, right now I'm working on a Leovold deck, so making something that you play target one of my things and letting me draw a card sounds pretty sweet. Um, then also you get that sweet third ability, which I think is probably in Commander to be the most relevant. Um, copy target instant or sorcery. You may choose new tar targets for that copy. Um, yeah, copy target, time walk, count, or time stretch, uh, temporal manipulation. Like I'm just taking an extra turn right there with you, buddy. Um, I kind of like that. Oh, yeah. yeah, I guess that does work, doesn't it? Yep. It, not to <laughs> mention, I mean, you can use it on your own spells as well, oh, yeah, which is absolutely. really cool. I'll I say, mean, isn't that the forked description? Yeah, that's what yep. fork essentially does. So it, it, Fork makes it red, but... Right, but it's forked for blue now, Yeah, if that, you choose that. Which they've had in the form of Twin Cast in the past. Yeah. Which, that, that alone as a card isn't the most powerful thing. I think what we really get here with Insidious Will is we get a card that, because it's modal, and yeah, it's not doing two of the abilities, it's just very powerful in the way that it has multiple abilities whenever you cast it. And yep. truth be told, I think this could see a little bit of standard or play if we see like a hard control deck, which I'm not really expecting in this upcoming format at all. I think, you know, like Last Pro Tour, Black-White Control was kind of a fluke. I mean, it's, even, it's not put up the most excellent of numbers throughout, but that's neither here nor there. Gotcha. All right. Me. Rob. See what the, my eighth is. I'm going to go right to it. <clears throat> now, you know, Lupine Prototype can't be on this list. Well, I don't have number eight then. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> like, that's all I need. All right. My number eight, Nissa Vital Force. She's a Planeswalker. It's Nissa. For three green green. Starts with five loyalty. Plus one, untap target land you control. Until your next turn, it becomes a 5-5 five, five elemental creature with haste. It's still a land. Minus three, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. And minus six, you get an emblem with whenever land enters a battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. So I chose this one, and I went full stop. I'm the most casual of Magic players because I don't even know that much about Magic. Like, that's, that's just me. Um, but I chose Nyssa... Specifically because it just seems like she rewards you for playing magic. For just playing the game. You, you put lands down, you return, she's got recursion, she's got, uh, she gives your lands haste. Her ultimate is you're already playing lands, it's what you want to do in magic. You get to draw an extra card because of it, which, when I told, was the most, three of the most powerful words in magic. It's you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. So am I am I right in saying that she's a good planeswalker? I don't know if she has a home necessarily, but she is a really powerful walker. Okay. A lot of people have been talking about the synergy with her and Oath of Gideon, so she immediately comes down with the additional loyalty, and then you just alter immediately. Oh, that was the other thing. She alts in one turn if yep. she survives. Well, one additional turn, but Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what yeah. you mean. But with Oath of Gideon, she can you can play her and it's almost like doubling season of planeswalker, just comes down and alts. Um, nice. It will kill her, unfortunately, and I don't know if all the time playing lands to draw a card is going to be a worthwhile effect, because sometimes you need a little bit more out of your walker. Yeah. But I think that's where she, you know, again, we're talking about modal cards. That's why these, you know, why I think Insidious Will is a powerful card, is Planeswalkers are modal cards. They do multiple things, 
and they just accrue advantage through that because it doesn't matter if each, you know, not every one of those abilities is worth five mana, but they're all worth a decent amount in the repeatable. Yeah. So I think she's a powerful walker, and she's overshadowed by another walker in this set, which I think we might talk about a little bit later. Yeah. Um, I like her. I think she's going to be played in Commander. She's at that sweet okay. spot of five mana, um, does some cool abilities, and in Commander, you do get to play the doubling season. So you can just play her, ult her, and then continue to do abilities. <laughs> just keep playing with it. That sounds a lot better to <laughs> Which me. Which is really cool. Um, but the thing that I'm thinking of is, and I'm not good at standard by any means, but there's a lot of landfall stuff still in standard. Oh yeah, there definitely is. And I mean, I challenge someone, go make a janky landfall deck and she'll be good. When BFZ standard came out, I made a really janky landfall deck that played a lot of just awful stuff. Yeah. Played like Sword of the Animist at the time. You could play a uh, Jund landfall. I'm sure there's probably Mina, something. Mina and Den and uh, um, Get Rod. Splendid, Splendid Reclamation. Like, bring all those lands back. Draw a bunch of cards. Yeah. And when they go in, draw cards with Get Rod. Eh, maybe there's something there. Slow, there but go. something there. Secret best card. Yeah, there you yeah. go. No, we're getting to it. We're getting to the <laughs> secret best card. All right. I'm sure. Cody. Uh, my next Number card seven. is going to be Rashmi Eternity's Crafter. Rashmi, Eternity's Crafter. There's my alphabet. Rashmi, Eternity's Crafter says he's a legendary creature. He's an elf druid for two black green, or I'm sorry, two uh, blue green. My that was bad. a lady. Is she? Oh, yeah, she is. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> uh, with the, she's got two free power toughness. Whenever you cast your first spell each turn, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a non land card with converted mana cost less than that spells, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. If you don't cast the revealed card, Put it into your hand. All right, so the reason I like her is simple. This is my last EDH pick, actually, on here. Um, I like blue-green decks because they tend to have commanders that either cheat mana cost or they do a lot of card draw. And she does both, which I really like. She's a card that almost proves preemptively we needed Profit of Crufix to be banned because her with Profit would have just been absolutely insane as you're always have mana available and you're just drawing into more and more cards as you go um she's just a complete build around me she goes into a really good shell that i think will be fun she's very similar to momir vig in a lot of ways and they're going to play very nice to with each other no chance in standard no chance in any other formats you this know, was made specifically for commander it feels like one of those legendaries <laughs> that they said we want to put it you know we're tossing the commander players a bone because every so often they'll make a legendary that just sucks yeah. And, you know, they like to outline the fact that they don't make all legendaries for Commander and people get upset about it. Then they give us cards like this, who are this and Gitrog, who I think are just going to become staples of the format. Awesome. I'm going to refrain from commenting here for obvious reasons. I, I think it's obviously known amongst us that when it comes to Commander, I play a lot of green, green blue. Mm -hmm. So almost in every deck. So she might show up a little bit later on your list. <laughs> uh, <laughs> top half? <laughs> I'm really excited about this card, so I'm gonna, you know, go crazy here in a little bit. Alright. Well then let's move on. Kevin, what's your next card? Next card? Combustible Gear Hulk. Combustible Gear Hulk. Alrighty, so Commander Talk. Alright. I'm gonna be doing tonight. Red Red 4. Artifact Creature Construct with 6 6. Got first strike. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent may have you draw three cards. If the player doesn't, put the top three cards of your library into the graveyard, then Combustible Gearhold 
deals damage to that player equal to the total converted mana cost of those cards. That's a mouthful. It is. The <laughs> gear hooks are all mouthful. Oh, yeah. um, so let's break this bad boy down. All right. He is a 6-6 six, six for 6. Emphasis on 6 because my baby of all of my decks for Commander is Maelstrom Wander. So I can cascade yeah. into this dude. And that's awesome. I get to oh swing gosh. in for an extra 6 damage. Uh, uh, he's got first strike on a 6-6 six, six body. So he trades with a lot of things in the format. With first strike, he doesn't trade. He just kills. That's true. Um, so that's really important. And that big wall of text, that's where we get into the juicy bit. Worst case scenario, I think, is I draw three cards. Worst case scenario. I mean, like... Worst case scenario is you mill three lands. And do zero yeah. damage. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, like, my viewpoint on that, then, is, is I'm not drawing three lands. That's okay. three lands I'm not drawing. You're playing three, three, three go, scries, if you will. <laughs> yeah, essentially. If we're going to be just glass half full. Um, because... In this deck, if I'm cascading into this guy, I'm never hard casting this. I'm never hard casting this. Um, if I cascade down into this, I want to either draw three cards or mill lands out of the way so I can draw relevant spells. Um, so like I said, I think worst case scenario for me is I draw three cards. Best case scenario, I flip over three things that cost seven and hit someone for 21. I like that. Because then I get to turn around and beat you with another 13. <laughs> Rob, you look at all right. Seems ridiculous. <laughs> what? Okay, so like, let's let's break this. Let's theory craft a little. Mm -hmm. What are the chances that that comes down and somebody actually says, "Go ahead and draw three cards." So, like, what, like it, it's going to be very situational because the one thing that this that Maelstrom Wanderer as a deck does. Because, let's be honest, that's probably one of the very few decks he's going to get played in. He's not going to be played in a ton of them, I think. Um, one thing Wanderer does is they play a lot of things that let you manipulate the order of your deck. And you won't know what I have on top. I will. Yeah, I mean, if you take another card like this that's actually in standard right now, who I think this card, at least for standard purposes, is extremely comparable to, it's Sin Prodder. And okay. most cards, whenever you give your opponent the choice, they're, any opponent who knows what they're doing is giving you the worst of two options. And they're rarely a Sophie's choice in that manner. Whereas like something, with, something like uh, Maelstrom Wander, I think we have less random elements going into oh, it yeah. because there's so much more deck manipulation. Oh, yeah. But like this guy in Standard, I think... It's funny because I do think, you know, we talk about it for Maelstrom Wander, and it's another one of those times like Jank works in uh, EDH. Because, like, if you're going to tell me you're going to play this card in standard, I'd laugh at you because I think this is absolute, just complete garbage. I must have dog garbage trying to censor myself. <laughs> dog garbage. But, like, I think this card's awful because it's a 6-6 six, six for 6, which is just, it's such a low return for what you want out of it. But it's kind of like you said, when I'm actually getting into Scroll Rack or I'm you know, using Sensei's top, like, when I'm setting up the top of my deck that way, it's so much more powerful. And, I mean, like, I think it's also going to fall under the same rule as Ristic Study. Um, in Commander, Ristic Study reads differently than what the card actually reads. Ristic Study says, whenever an opponent casts a spell, they may pay an additional mana, or you draw a card. Mm -hmm. What Ristic Study actually says in Commander is, 
all your opponent's spells cost one more to cast. Some people don't follow that rule, and they let you draw cards. And I think some people are going to look at this card and just be like, well, I don't ever want you to draw cards. Yeah. Drawing three cards, too powerful. Mill. And then I flip over, you know, 10, 12 damage. And, you know, then I'm swinging it with another 13. I'm getting the sense that this is more of a... It's a mind game. This is a commander-heavy set. Because so far, with our three cards... Or is it just because we're all commander players? I think it's a little bit we're all ADH players. I mean, I'm done with my commander picks. Everything I've else I've got nothing standard. but okay. commander picks. All right. Perfect. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Let me move on to mine number seven. I'll pull her up here. Him, her. I don't know. I forgot. Let's find out all together. Ovia Pashiri, Sage Lifecrafter. That is a name. Yeah. I am glad I got that first try. So, via Bashiri, Sage Lifecrafter is a legendary creature, a human artificer. For one green, you get a 1 2. Uh, for two green, then you tap her, you create a 1 1 colorless servo uh, artifact creature token. Or for four green, you tap her, you create an XX colorless construct artifact creature token, where X is the number of creatures you control. When I started playing Commander, mm-hmm. my one wish, knowing nothing about the game, was I want to create a bunch of stuff. And that's exactly what she lets me do. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, please do. Mm-hmm. Um, the four green and tap to create an XX, mm-hmm. where X is another creature to control. Minus the trample, is that just Crater Hoof's like, baby, baby, baby brother? Because it's, it gets stronger the more creatures I have on the field? So, I mean, that's definitely a way you could put it, but like Crater Hoof pumps your team, and that's his relevant thing. And this just pumps itself? Yeah, this is just the one dude. Gotcha. Like, it's not bad by any means, and especially... So it's more Pathbreaker? It's almost like that. They're, they're kind of in, just in a different class, like yeah. they do something kind of similar. But, I mean, it's cool because, you know, this is a problem you see with a lot of token generals, is they can't produce tokens on their own. And some of them that do aren't very good. And, you know, she's not by any means the most powerful of all token generals we've ever had. But she comes down early, she sets up, and then she starts doing her thing. Yeah. And it, I think it's cool that she also uses unique tokens we've never used before. Because she servos and constructs. Which, uh, Metallurgic Summoning, does it use the same constructs? Or how? Do, what are the tokens for Metallurgic Summoning? Does anyone know? I do not believe it's Artifact Creature. Um... It's an artifact. I think I, we might want to look that up later. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I think all the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, all the tokens out of the set are either emblems or they're artifacts. Okay. I don't think there's anything with color in it. Um, I like her. I think she's cool for Commander. Um, <clears throat> there's something to be said in Commander about a one-drop general. Yeah. Um, that was the other thing I wanted to mention is that... Like, and stuff. Even in like a limited format, which I've played one pre-release, that's my only limited experience. The fact that she's one green and then she just gets more useful as time goes on in that and that seems really cool to me. Oh, in limited, I think she's a freaking house. Oh yeah? yeah? Yeah, she just constantly accrues you value. Like every time you make a servo or you make a construct, it's almost like you're drawing a card. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like that Planeswalker effect of it being repeatable. Yeah. So she's just drawing you advantage as the game goes on. She's a mana sink. You know, when you're out of cards at the end of the game and, you know, there, you have a bunch of land but you have nothing to do with it, it's great to have something like this. You can just pour your mana into and awesome. keep accruing value to punch through a board stall. So I'm doing good so far. Yeah. yeah. I think she's also interesting for uh, something along the lines of like Tristani. She can fit in the 99. Yeah. She comes down. Oh, I have 100, you know... Pegasus tokens, because, you know, that happens sometimes. 
and yeah, I'm just gonna you know turn her sideways and make a hundred hundred <laughs> and gain a bunch of life. Nice. Like, I mean, she fits in a lot of different builds. I mean, she's a human, unfortunately, which I think is bad because it keeps her out of like the elf deck, right. where you do just go sideways versus you know really big generally. Um, she almost have to be an elf that produced elves for you to want to do that in the elf deck, though. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that. All right, no, serious question, though. One I, I don't understand. No, for him. Okay. What the hell produces that many Pegasus tokens? Like, no, it's, I just don't know. It's, um, there's a, it might not be Pegasus. It might be horse tokens. Boom. <laughs> it's something Dang. like that. It's like... <laughs> I'm gonna look it up for I think it's like the Stormbird. No it's like a it's a sorcery, it gets played in Tristani, it's you know, your ambiguous white white X or white white XX, make a bunch of tokens. Okay. I think that's what it is. Good for you, Ovira. Or Ovia, sorry. Ovia. Ovia Pashiri. Not super familiar with the token deck though. Alright. Cody, number six, what do you got for me? Last new Hellion. Oh, sandworms. Yeah, the sandworms. Oh, the dune worms. Sorry. I mean the Kaladesh worms. Kaladesh worms. The Kaladesh okay. worms. Right. Larry's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last new Hellion. For two red, you get a Hellion. Is that mm. a new creature type? No, they've used it before. Okay. They've tokens for it, believe it or not. Okay, so it's it's not that new. But for two red, you get a 4-4. Four, four. Uh, you get a creature with haste. When last new Hellion enters the battlefield, you get two energy counters. At the beginning of your end step, sacrifice last new Hellion unless you pay two energy counters so this is basically uh something that's a really good value for a low mana cost but you have an additional upkeep to play it or to keep it yeah i really wish this thing had trample which would just propel it to me thinking this thing's awesome yeah so the cool thing about it is it, it comes down you slam in for four depending on the circumstance of the board i either pay my end step cost or I just let it die because sometimes it's used as like a pseudo removal spell this goes in a really really aggressive deck I want to be playing this in a deck that plays cards like Harness Lightning and Voltaic Brawler like I think this goes in a green red aggro shell which we kind of have some of the tools coming apart or coming together for which is sad because we haven't had like a green red aggro shell in a while because red's just been awful and standard mm -hmm. whereas green has been exceedingly powerful so I'd like to see it go in something like that, where this thing can just come in on turn three after we've been curving out with other creatures and just beat face. Because seeing like a red one drop into a Voltaic Brawler, into a Laugh New Hellion, like we're just beating in with a ton of power. We have more energy to keep this thing alive if we need to for the late game. If not, we just let it die and maybe... You know, maybe sometimes we bank up the energy to make our Harness Lightnings bigger or to pump up our Voltaic Brawler. Because I wouldn't be upset to play Voltaic Brawler and just have extra energy around to be beating in with this guy. Is this just going to be a standard aggro card and then it'll kind of just fall yeah. off? Yeah, I mean, a 4-4 four, four for 3 is it's good. And, you know, the haste is definitely solid, but it's, it's nothing too far above the curve that we're really going to see this going on for a long time. Gotcha. All right. Well, Kevin, moving on. What do you got for us? Um. So I feel like Cody's gonna be a little disappointed with me for putting her this far down low on my list. Okay. Sahili Rai. Sahili Rai, the face of Kaladesh. I wish I loved her more. I really do. The um. 
how do you put her? The, the, the card that you know. Sahili Rai, one uh, blue-red. What's that called? What do the kids call it? Is it? One is it. Wait, what is it? One is it is. Is oh, it. okay. Uh, you get a three loyalty planeswalker. Her plus one, scry one. And then Sahili Rai deals one damage to each opponent. Minus two, create a token that's a copy of a target artifact or creature you control, except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. That token gains haste, exile, exile it at the beginning of your next end step. And her ultimate, minus seven. Search your library for up to three artifact cards with different names, put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So her ultimate, ch cheats, tutors, and all that fun stuff. Kevin? Um, so I'll be honest, I don't care about her ultimate. Okay. Um, it's just not um, applicable to the decks I play in Commander right now. Gotcha. Might be cool later. Um, so it's not something I'm addressing right now. I like her plus one a lot. I think that's the ability I'm going to be using the most of. I feel like you, you did talk about manipulating the top of your deck. The deck. That's exactly what um, Scrying can do. I think in Mouse from Wander, this is where I'm going to play her the most. Um, because... I play Scroll Rack. Um, you know, other decks that are blue red, you'll probably play, might play Scroll Rack. Um, probably more often just gonna be playing like top, um, things along those lines. And one thing that you have to deal with when you're playing uh, top and Scroll Rack is when you lock yourself into it, you don't have a fetch land, you don't have a way to shuffle your deck, you don't have a way to put the stuff on the bottom or get it out of the way. And you just locked yourself into whatever cards are on the top, and you're only digging like one every turn. So you're essentially not getting any real value other than being able to just manipulate where everything's at. And this helps out a little bit at three mana, and I get to ping everybody. Um, I get to go, oh, okay, you know, I have this sorcery that is way out of my reach and isn't super applicable. Yeah, I'm going to put that on top of the deck with the scroll rack, and I'm going to put it on the bottom with the Sahili. Get it out of the way, dig an extra card deeper when I scroll rack again. Um, I think the flashier ability is her minus two. Um, she comes down and then copies a, uh, a mana rock. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah, I have to sacrifice it at the end, but there's some instances where it just comes down, hits a mana rock, and then I get to, you know, play something else. Um, she probably in the best scenario comes down, pluses next turn, copies Mana Rock, and you have a turn four Maelstrom Wanderer. You turn four, uh, well, any any big <laughs> spell, a turn four big spell. Um, whether it's Expropriate, Salvala Stampede, um, no, you can't turn to it anymore. <laughs> um, just. Big spells. I like playing big spells, and she's just another route to get there. So, Cody, you mentioned that you wish you loved her more. What issues do you have with Sahili? So it's not necessarily I have issues with Sahili. It's just I think she's very appropriately costed for a three, or appropriately powered for a three mana planeswalker. Um, her draw ability is you know the statistics range between anywhere point three to point six of a card whenever you scry. And I, it sounds really greedy because she'd be too powerful if it were just draw card deal damage. Yeah. But they're trying to keep each ability kind of in effect with the colors. So I get that. But I think that's kind of what hinders her a little bit is just her plus ones. It's not bad. I like the way you kind of brought up that, you know, it can dig you out of a, like your brainstorm locks. Yep. 
And I think that's really cool, and I like that, and I think that's really nice because, you know, I can then brainstorm deeper each time and just, you know, get that little bit of extra depth on it. So I do think that's really cool, but it's just she's not doing enough for me. I mean, her ultimate's cool, and it's, you know, go grab Blightsteel and whatever else and just kill someone, which I like, don't get me wrong, but I don't think her as a whole does enough. Gotcha. Um, the only place people are kind of talking about it for, like, real competitive use is there's a combo you can do in Modern where you play her, Alter of the Brood, and Liquid Metal Coating. Alter of the Brood is whenever a permanent enters the battlefield under, or non-land permanent enters the battlefield under your control, each player mills a card. Liquid Metal Coating is a two-drop artifact that you tap to make target permanent become an artifact. So you just minus two on herself, and each new version is an artifact. So you just keep going through it once she's okay. been liquid metal coated. Okay. Um, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people compare that to Splinter Twin, and they're insane if they think that's even on the same level, because Splinter Twin was basically I, I play two cards you don't interact with, is the way it would essentially work. Whereas this is, you know, people are living too much in magical Christmas land where they think they just get to go turn one, turn two, turn three, I win the game. That's just not how modern plays. Okay, so to those people, so Huey Rise going to get banned because it's the same as Splinter, Splinter Twin, right? It's not even close. Okay, well. It's uh, um, people who think it's even remotely like that are insane. And I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> that if we saw something similar come out where, where she could like make some sort of real value off another artifact and kind of run through that because... I've seen other people talk about like putting Disciple of the Vault in the deck as an alternate win con, but it's just like, I'm going to play a bunch of fragile, slow things that are at sorcery speed and yeah. expect I can get there in a format where we've got Burn and Infect and Death Shadow, Zoo, killing people on turn three. Like, what makes you think you can keep up with that? <laughs> you are nuts. Um, or Eldrazi. Like, just any of these aggro decks... Are going to embarrass them. Bushwhacker Zoo will kill you with no interaction. All right. Yeah, I th I'll, I I do kind of want to say this. I think your biggest issue with her is she is a standard toned down version of Dak, and you love Dak. Yeah, Dak's awesome, and she's super bad Dak. Yeah. Like she's awful. Like they're not, like they they are the same mana costs. Mm -hmm. They are. They do have the same loyalty. Yep. They have the their first two abilities have the same cost. Yep. That's the only similarities. And they even... You, you can clearly see that her first two abilities are just toned-down versions of his... Bad, bad versions. Toned down. Terrible. I mean, it, it's going into a standard format, Dak. No, I want to steal Moxes. <laughs> I don't want to copy a Mox for a turn. Oh. <laughs> Be a better Dak Fane's healing. She really should. Well, I told her, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> All right. All right, moving on to my number six, we Maybe have... We together with Dak. Nice. Hey, there you go. Who knows what happens in the lore. Uh, what's the name of it? Oh, yeah, that's right. My number six is Tutu, the Ardar Express. Uh, it's a five-cost, eight-six uh, vehicle artifact. It's got Menace and Crew 4. Tap any number of creatures you control with 12 power, four or more. This vehicle becomes an artifact creature until the end of turn. Now, I picked this because... Um, I know you guys had mentioned a vehicle is not, or crew is not a complete unique concept, but it's new to me, mm -hmm. and I wanted to get, like, is there value in keeping this, this theme of tapping your, your low cards to make something else super powerful, um, 
going? Like, is that an actual thing, or is this just going to be a one-set thing that they're testing and people aren't excited for? Like, what are your thoughts on Crew? Um, I think Crew is definitely going to show up, if not immediately after. I don't think it's going to show up immediately afterwards. I see them bringing this back as, I think they call it a dis... I don't remember which one it is. It's not an evergreen, but it's like a couple steps below. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's one of those mechanics where they're going to bring back when it makes sense. Because it's definitely not plane specific. We can have vehicles in other planes. Like we've seen vehicles on Ravnica. I mean, we've seen all kinds of vehicles. I think there are vehicles on Mirrodin even. I mean, well, technically, anytime you see a boat. Yeah, I mean, it's a vehicle. I mean, we have a barge as one yeah. of our vehicles. But it's a really good limited mechanic which is what I really like. It reminds me of Morph in a sense because I think all the vehicles are completely colorless. So they all slot into any decks and they have a little bit of an extra use. Like, yeah, they're really bad when you're behind, but they're cool because they'll give a lot of your creatures that come down like a pseudo haste because the crew ability is a force tapping effect. You don't, if you're summoning sick, it doesn't matter. You can still get tapped for it. Really? Yes. And that's one thing I think really increases the power on some of the vehicles. I know why you like the train in particular. Yeah. But <laughs> I just like the mental image of like, I think I saw this on Reddit the other day where someone was talking about debating between where you're going to attack with the train. Yeah. Debating if you're going to attack the opponent's Liliana or you're going to attack the opponent. So you, you decide like, all right, we're going, we're going <laughs> into Liliana. So, you know, they're like laying down all the track, getting it ready. So you can just go ram into Lily. Like, whoa, 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 never, never mind. Actually, I'm going at you. <laughs> So they pick up all the track and they're kind of replacing it. It's so like, all right, now we're choo-chooing uh, at that guy. I was, I was more into the thought of, like, you have to derail the train. If you're like, wait a second, I'm actually going to go attack that. <laughs> a little bit. Um, <clears throat> you want me to tell the, the quick story of why I like oh, our, tell me our why you go for it. Why do you love the train? All right, so my favorite card in Magic was in the last set in Eldritch Moon. And I was a little bit unsure about the crew. Um... I noticed that it said total power four and more. So if one card has four power, you can just tap that and you have a solo conductor of this huge string. Yes, a solo my favorite, conductor. My favorite card in Magic is Lupine Prototype, which is a two drop, five, five. You drop the you drop Lupine Prototype and a Dar Express, all of a sudden you have a puppy, a robot puppy, piling that train and it goes choo choo. Has menace. Choo choo bark bark. Choo choo bark bark. <laughs> and it just slams into him for eight. Um, as as a vehicle itself, is this all right? A five or eight six with menace? Like that's all right. I want to have an ability though. Besides menace. Yeah, like I, I, I want to trample. Yeah, I don't know why. That this... makes a little more sense. <laughs> like, how is the menace is such a weird <laughs> ability? Like, I like it. It's a good keyword. It's just I think it's kind of like. Fear was a bad name because it was like you invoke fear, but it almost just felt like it. Yeah, it has fear. Like it's afraid of things, therefore they can't attack them. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I get it. It's menace. It's menacing. It's hard to. It's a train coming block. at you. Do you want to block it without a buddy? Okay, so let me put this in perspective. The okay. first card we had spoiled is the actual keyword menace, not the ability menace, because like the actual what menace is has existed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Was. The, this pack of goblins. It was like a 3-2 out of Origins. Okay. So these goblins were equally menacing to a train. Or Kozilek. The Great Distortion. Yeah. He messes with reality. And he's just terrifying. He's like, oh my god, I don't want that coming near me. As much as that train or 
those like three goblins that are three feet tall collectively. To be fair, if you had goblins coming at you or Kozilek or a train coming at you, I think you'd be scared no matter what. Yeah, but Emrakul doesn't scare me that much. All I, all I no, think but is she is, takes uh, over your turn. <laughs> I was just saying, man. You know what those goblins are doing, though, that the train and Kozilek isn't doing? Being naked. They're, they're coming at you with their spears and their pitchforks and going, Hey, I'm walking in! Those are homunculus. <laughs> I know. It was there. I had to take it. Nope. All right. Nope. We're, that, discussion's over. We're moving on. All right. Your fifth card. Cody? Pia Nalar. Pia Nalar. The Chandra Nalar's mother. Mommy! All right. Pia Nalar is two and a red for 2-2. Two, two. She is a legendary creature, human artificer. I feel like we're going to get a lot of that creature type in this set. What? Artificers? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, when PNLR enters the battlefield, create a 1 1 colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying. Uh, for 1 and a red, target artifact creature gets plus 1 plus 0 until end of turn. And for 1, you sacrifice an artifact, target creature can't block this turn. Cody? Alright, so the reason I like her, she's got a decent rate for a standard body. Uh, 3 mana for 3 power is I really like. Mm -hmm. um, it's not amazing by any stretch of the imagination. She's got 2 power. Well, she also brings in her 1 1 Thopter. Okay, I see what you mean. So it's three right. combined power. I get you. Um, Picking up what you're putting down. What I do like is I like that we've got that evasion on the Thopter. And it, she has these abilities that pump it. So if we're playing any other artifacts in the deck, that it gets a little more powerful. Um, her Thopter actually appeals to me for a couple other cards that are later on my list. Of why I like so much that she makes that Thopter. Because kind of like a little, little thing we were talking about before is... Like, I like the vehicles that are a little bit smaller and can be crewed a little bit more easily. Yeah. So having a Thopter that can just do that as kind of like a throwaway thing Wait. is really nice. Wait a second. Wait, are you telling me a Thopter can pilot a, a car in an airship? Yes. Oh, the one I'm going to tell you it's going to pilot is going to confuse you even more. I'm confused already. <laughs> okay, so that's actually, that's actually really cool. And I like that, you know, if I am using like a vehicle, she can pump it up. I like that... She can sack that Thopter later when it's no longer relevant, or if it was ever relevant to begin with, to you know punch in my aggressive deck a little bit easier by clearing the way for a blocker. Yeah. Um, the thing I don't like about PNLR is we already called Kieran and Pia. We already called them mom and dad, and I think people are going to start calling Pia Nalar mom, and that kind of bothers me because Mother of Ruins oh is my the gosh. one. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that. And I it just I don't want to hear that nickname for her because I'm sorry she's she's not mom. She's just way too new. She's okay, way too new mom. so I vote we call her mommy. Mommy. All right, that works. I also cried a little bit when I saw she got spoiled because I was all excited to show her mom was still alive. Oh yeah, if you compare if you compare if you compare this to uh, the the origins one with both of them standing there. It is where, kind of sad. Where they look happy. Yeah, where they look happy, and, and now so, she, she's very solemn and. Yeah, now she's just like a nasty what? renegade yeah. as opposed oh. to you know being an inventor. Quick question. Yeah. What's up? So now that uh, Papa Nolar's dead, is the card any weaker? Yeah, it actually becomes weaker. You only get half the power now. Oh. It's only a one-one now, but Pia just beefed it up. <laughs> that's so sad. Actually, the weird thing is uh, Pia and Gear Nolar is a two-two. You get the extra thopters, so all he contributed was the thopter. He was a zero-zero. <laughs> He's a little punk. Well, we clearly see who wears the pants in that relationship. Well, we know why he's dead. Wow. 
Wasn't going to play. <laughs> He's zero zero. Here, zero zero. You That's drop true. Off the, off the board. Do you think that was a? Well, I guess he wouldn't have known until PNLR came out herself. So maybe it was just some great foreshadowing that yeah. I doubt we had. <laughs> right. All right, Kevin. What's next on your list? Oh, I'm gonna butcher this. Go for it. Do Virtuous Gearhulk. Virtuous Gearhulk. Oh, the Green Gearhulk. Yeah. Man, we have a lot of Gearhulks on this list. Don't they we? seem to be a talked about thing. They um, rem- they remind a lot of people of other color cycles we've had, especially a mythic like this. Like, like the Titans are like the original powerhouse ones that everyone fell in love with. Yeah. Um, we have the Primordials, which scale way better in <laughs> multiplayer. <laughs> and then we also had like the Souls, which were just hot, steamy garbage. But I think these are somewhere in between Souls and Primordials. Virgil's Gear Hulk. Yeah, I just stole your thunder, by the way. For Green Green Three. Artifact creature constructs the 4 4. Oh, Got trample. When Virgil's Gear Hulk enters the battlefield, distribute four plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control. So, if you're going wide, you get a bunch of 2 2s out there, or you can pump this guy up to an 8 8 or anything in between. Kevin? Okay, so Commander all over the place. All right. Just Commander and everything. Uh, I'm gonna let Cody handle the the standard, and you know this isn't gonna be played in modern. I'm smart enough to see that. Um, oh, actually, I'm gonna smack you. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I already said it. Um, Mouser Wander is my baby. I think that is the Google best Google. deck for this card in particular. Yeah, you might be able to fit him somewhere else. Cool, whatever. Oh, really? I think this. Well, because. I beg to differ. You're going to come up with yeah, some... Yeah, Azuri. Corner case could, argument could here. could really use him. <laughs> <laughs> um, he comes down, and I never put his uh, counters on anything other than Maelstrom Wander. It's oh. not something I want to, you know, cascade into, because I want those counters on Wanderer himself. You want that two-turn kill. I want that one-turn kill. I want to just <laughs> turn Wanderer sideways and kill somebody. <laughs> Um, but I mean, like, there's, in effect, in that deck, just a bunch of ways to double up damage, get extra combat steps, um, I'm gonna rattle some of them off, every take an extra turn spell, that counts as an extra combat, because you get another combat, Mm -hmm. inherently. Um, you've got, uh, what is it, Pathbreaker Ibex, that's double damage, because Wanderer is my big dude, he's given everything plus 11, plus 11 now. Um, gratuitous violence, uh, Scourge of the Throne, um, there's that red enchantment, aggravated assault. Like, there's so many ways to just get more combats that this dude's gonna just be stupid. He comes down, and you know, someone's, you know, assessing the board, and they're like, oh, Wanderer doesn't kill me, I get an extra turn, or something like that. And then he comes down, and he's like, nope, you're dead. You're just dead. Look at all those plus one, plus one counters on Wanderer now. Yep, make a wander door from a seven five to an eleven nine. Important point you mentioned, uh, Pathbreaker Ibex. We actually got a new goat in this set called Thriving Ibex. I just thought <laughs> I'd throw that out there. I like goats, so I like goats a lot, so I always think about that. Um, no, the reason I beg to differ with you, Maelstrom Wander is one of the most busted ass generals there is. I'm not gonna argue; <laughs> right. he's extremely powerful. Um, bro, Marath wants this really bad. Wrath? Morath. Oh, Morath, okay. Uh, yeah. It's really good in Morath! 
Why is it really good in Marath? Because Marath cares about having counters on itself so it can remove them to do things. Oh, it's a Triskelion. But kind I'm, of like that. But yeah. like overpowered. Superpowered. Well, I mean, with that argument, though, you could just say any commander that cares about plus one, plus one counters. Yeah, no, but, but Marath is one of the better ones. No, no, I'm sorry. This really yeah. caused the progress. Cares about plus one, plus one counters a little bit. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> no, this would be bad in that Azuri deck. Not bad, okay. but... So, Wanderer takes it from being just value and turns it into, I kill you. Yeah, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> no one's ever comboed out with a Morath before. <laughs> okay, okay. Does Virgil's Gearhawk have a place in Standard? I think so, yeah. Because what you're looking at is 8 power for 5 mana. And especially for one like a go-wide strategy, this will keep things out of... Uh, you can pull things out of like flame tendrils range by pumping them up. Um, there's a new, I think there's a four mana uh, deal three to all creatures by sacrificing an artifact card. There's a lot of things that just deal damage all around like that. Yeah. That I think this kind of just can either pull them out of it, or sometimes you are just playing an eight eight for five, and that's an eight eight with five with evasion because it's got trample. Like that's not bad. I'm not upset about that. And not to mention, if I'm pumping it on like other creatures I care about pumping up for whatever reason. Pump, pump, pump it up. Pump um, it, pump it, pump it up. I think another thing to think about is... Um, okay, so there's almost always going to be some kind of like mid-range strategy once the format settles. Mm -hmm. um, I think we saw that with... I think it was Bant Company was kind of like the mid-range-y. No, it was like the super mid-range deck. Yeah. So, and we, I think, what was it, uh, we saw in some major tournament where you had just, like, two guys with really wide board states, they didn't know how to attack because they were, you know, just the entire field covered with cards. It was Bant Company versus Bant Humans that was the finals to Worlds. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And <laughs> this, um, hopefully, you know, on a smaller scale, because I never want to see a board state like that again. Oh, no, it's because we have all these stupid two threes. I'm so sick of that in Standard. This changes that. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a board state. down, and my board state now goes from being matching your two threes with my two threes to now I've got a bunch of, like, three fours that kill your two threes and live versus, you know, just like, oh, I attack, you block, then you have to swing in, and I can't block. So yeah. I don't attack. Now it's I attack, you make the decision, do I kill your stuff or do I kill you? Yeah, no, I like it. I think it's really cool. Um, All right. I think it's just a solid all-around card. Good job, Virgil's Gear Hulk. He's no right. Primeval Titan or Sylvan Primordial. Nope. I'll tell you that much. All right, moving on to mine. I switched this because I actually want to talk about this one. Angel of Invention. Who plays nice with the Gear Hulk. Does he? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> um, three white white, you get a 2-1, which, from what I understand, that's a really bad cost. It's a terrible uh, rate. Yep, terrible rate. But Garbage you get, card. You get an angel. Next one. <laughs> Alright. No, wait. Let me let me sell this to you. He's got flying, okay. vigilance, okay. and lifelink. Oh, those are all good abilities. And fabricate two. And I like it more. When this creature enters the battlefield, put two plus one plus one counters on it, or create two one one color servo artifact creature tokens and other card creatures you control get plus one plus one. And the reason I included this is one, I like going wide, apparently. Because mm -hmm. that's yeah. just yeah. where I go. But it's fun. I wanted to talk about the the fabricate uh, keyword rule text. What keyword. Is keyword. Um, has this been done before, where you are given a choice between what a card does when it enters the battlefield? I'm. There's definitely cards that like have different ETB effects. Yeah. Um, there was a card in Fate Reforge 
Limited, which in particular they cited as being a huge inspiration for Fabricate. Okay. Uh, he came in either with a plus one, plus one counter on him. I think he was a 2-1 for three. Okay. Or he gave you a 1-1 one, one white spirit, which originally that's how they had playtested Fabricate is they had made it so it was Thopters. But the problem is a 1-1 one, one counter and a 1-1 one, one flyer are just not equal. Whereas a 1-1 one, one counter and a 1-1 one, one creature are a lot more on the same level. Yep. Um, another important thing to kind of talk about with Fabricate that I screwed up, and I know I made it, I tweeted at some point on Twitter and I was totally wrong about this, because I talked about this card in particular, funny enough, um, you have two options on this card, Yeah. but you may read it as three, and that's something I think a lot of people have gotten wrong on this when I've heard them talk about Fabricate. So when Fabricate comes in, it's an all or nothing mechanic. I either get my counters or I get my uh, tokens. Right. I don't get one counter and one token, which right. I've seen a lot of people not get right. And frankly, I screwed up for like the first week <laughs> the set was getting spoiled. I didn't realize that it was one or the other. Because I'm like, oh, you know, it'd be really cool. I'll get, you know, I'll get my three two, and I'll get a uh, two get, two. Yeah. Like that sounds awesome. Um. Okay. So my biggest question mm -hmm. that I have to the more experienced you two. Is that since other creatures get plus one plus one when this comes down, mm -hmm. would there be any uh, merit to putting plus one plus one counters on Angel? Because even if you put both of them on on it, it's still going to be like in lightning bolt range um, to, to get killed. I think I'm not super familiar with standard, but I think Grasp of Darkness is target creature gets minus two minus two minus four minus four minus four minus four. Okay. Well, then so what yeah, I was saying doesn't matter now. It's in grass range, so like regardless, it'll be in grass range. I think that's my only real problem with this card is you know. Ooh, Lily kills her Ooh. if you don't put the counters on her. Yep, that's gonna be the exact oh, point. Oh, okay. Is Lily's gonna punk her ass out? <laughs> and I think there's just enough in standard right now that's killing these, like these two one or these uh, pre one toughness is not a good place to be okay. in most case scenarios. I think it's worse now than it usually is, because she's a cool card, and what she does can be inherently powerful, and it's one of those weird scenarios where if I can play one as a 4-3 and be safe for a turn, and then slam another one down, pumping my team, okay. like, that sounds awesome, but I don't know if that's necessarily where we're kind of going with it, and if a token deck comes out, she definitely gets more powerful, like, there's that two drop that creates two, two drop? There's a two or a three drop that creates uh, two servos. It's a two drop. She, I think she definitely works well with like Gideon, where you know you come down, you make your emblem. Yeah, just start pooping out knights too. Yeah. Oh yeah, with the emblem, that's awesome. Yeah, because that helps you know push her. It's a good curve for that too. Yep, four to five. But. But for the mana cost, is she a little bit too much? I you know, I think her issue is they jam too many keywords on her. Yeah. That we're kind of losing a little bit of our power and toughness as a whole. Um, if she didn't have lifelink, I think we could justify either, like, a 2-2 two -two or even, like, Fabricate 3 okay. on her. And I think I'd be a little bit happier with her. That one toughness was kill is what kills me. Yeah. Out. Like I said, if I can come out and, you know, I've got a Gideon emblem or I've got an Always Watching, which is slightly redundant because of Vigilance, like, I'm going to be a lot happier with her. That's my only issue. One toughness is a bad place to be. Gotcha. So on her own, I think she's rough, but she may have some synergies. Okay. So it's all right. 
It's solid. It's one of those cards I see not being worth much money and then having a really cool weekend and it's just kind of breaking. Yeah, out. we'll see what the community does with her. And as we all know, the Magic community is full of, if nothing else, people that make jank work. Yeah, people yeah. who <laughs> innovate, if you will. Yeah, okay, that's that's the nicer way to put it. Yes, it is. But uh, let's let's move on I'm to sorry, jank techie. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> Cody? My next card is very related to Pia from earlier. It is Smuggler's Copter. Smuggler's Copter, a two-drop, three-three vehicle with flying. Whenever a Smuggler's Copter attacks or blocks, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. Crew one. So particularly why I like this card so well is it curves out with uh, another card on my list, which is a card that cares about artifacts. That's a one-drop. Um, it curves out well with that. It curves into Pia really well. Yeah. And if I play this on two and I follow it up with Pia, Pia's Thopter can crew this to start getting in the red zone and accruing me uh, card selection. Because all they basically did is they took Rogue's Gloves and turned it into a vehicle, which Rogue's Gloves are always a perfectly fine limited card. It's just equipment is really slow. Because that's what I like about vehicles as opposed to equipment is I feel like vehicles are a little bit faster than equipment is. You don't have to waste mana, you just tap it. Yeah, creature. exactly. And you know, these actually do what they want to do. Yes, I there are a few of them that have haste on them so I can use them the turn they come down. But whereas, you know, equipment, I can always use the turn it comes down if I've got the creature and the mana available. But these I don't have to spend the additional mana on. And that's what I think is really cool about them. I think this is Probably the most powerful of the vehicle cycle because a three-three flyer for two is really damn good. And let's be honest, like even if that was like a two-two, that middle ability is just the middle bonkers. ability is really good. The evasion on a three-three is really good. Yeah, yep. I can crew this with a servo. I can crew this with you know if I'm playing Thraben Inspector early in the game. I can crew this with a Thopter. Like I think that's where we see our power here. Is this, there's such a low crew cost on this. That it just gets in the red zone and it starts accruing me card selection to, you know, give me that little bit of pseudo card advantage. And I think it's also relevant um, because so many of the tokens I think we're going to be seeing are not thopters so much, but more of the fabricate tokens. Yeah, the so when, you, so when you see the flyers, it's probably going to be like one flyer, maybe two. Mm -hmm. And it's really relevant because the line of play could be like tap your thopter to crew, swing... Uh, use Pia to prevent a flying blocker and just guarantee to get in and maybe even pump a little. Yeah, because that's the other cool thing I can do with Pia too is I can crew this with a Thopter, spend the one mana to blow up the Thopter and uh, stop the blocker from blocking us if they do have a flying blocker. Now that's some jank. Yeah, it's some jank. But, <laughs> that's a know, lot of like lines of plays you can make. And like that's the whole idea behind the set is you know you got to feel like an inventor so you yeah. got to tinker and come up with these solutions and that's what I like about this card is it it gives me that feeling. A um, little bit of a tangent here, a lot we're getting a lot of these vehicles that fly, correct? They all have like pseudo evasion. It feels like. Yeah, are we getting anything to like combat with all that flying and evasion and stuff like that, or is there going to be a lot of removal? in this set or does it seem like we still have plummet if we need it which plummet comes okay. from i believe bfz which is just destroy target flying creature okay and we've got clip wings from shadows of ranistrad okay, so granted so. it's mostly in green but if you want flyers dead we can kill them dead okay i was just wondering just an observation yeah because you know people like flying apparently 
Yeah. Its good abilities are pretty good. Kevin, what's your card that's up next in your top eight list? Aether works Marvel. Aether works Marvel, a four-drop legendary artifact. At least the first one they revealed with energy on it. I think it was. Yeah, look at that. Uh, whenever a permanent control is put into a graveyard, you get an energy counter. Uh, if you tap this and pay, what is it, six? Six energy counters. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may cast a card from among them without paying its mana cost. Okay, now I see why Kevin picked it. <laughs> <laughs> Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Or, sorry, in a random order. So, is is that basically, like, is that Cascade, but better? It's not Cascade, because Cascade says, go until you hit something. This says, okay. here's a limited selection of cards. Pick if you one. can do something, do it. Yeah, pick one for free. So, like, but, I mean, you're digging six cards. Odds are um, you're going to hit something that you can play. Um, I mean, realistically, you can play anything because it's not casting, I believe, right? You may cast, no, you oh, do it cast, cast it from among them. Oh, okay, no, so no lands. Um, regardless, six cards, you probably hit a spell. I can actually play Emberpool off this. Yeah. It's also, <laughs> is um, this one of the few, I didn't look at the whole set, so bear with me because... You know, I didn't have much to look at this much time to look at the set, but is this one of our few uh, energy generators? So a lot of cards tend to generate enough energy to make themselves work. Yeah. There's a rare cycle of cards that are just kind of like do X and get energy, play a creature, kill a creature, play a land, so on and so forth. But it most aren't like consistent generators, it feels like. Right. A lot are like, I enter the battlefield, you get this many energy. So like they'll self contain their own effect. Right, like your uh, your Hellion. Yeah, like Lanthan Hellion or Lothnew oh, Hellion. I'm really trying not to blow up about this card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This card is stupid good. Stupid. Um so Cody, what's the most commonly played type of card in Commander? Lands. You're, you're smart, you're smart. Uh, board Whites. Mm -hmm. uh, I play this. I play Creatures. Um, it's also a format where you can play a ton of fetch lands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those hit the grave, guys. I'm going to rack up uh, energy. You Board White me. Or heck, I Board White. And then I immediately cast something. This is a stupid card. Um, is that how that would work in a board white? Oh, you would get all the energy. Oh, yes, you would get all the energy, and then you could tap it and pay that. Well, energy. it's only checking stuff uh, that you control that dies. Right, but you only have to hit what is it six? Six. I think I can crack some fetch lands. Um, you know, there's a lot of decks that you know play with the whole like, oh, I'm gonna sack things, recur things, sack some more things, recur some more things. Hitting, getting six things to die, or I shouldn't even say die, I should just say getting six things from your field to your grave is not a hard thing to do. And I think the even more like stupid part is there's no mana cost to tap and activate. It's just literally, I tap this, I get rid of the six energy that I'm probably not using for anything else, and then I cast something for free. This card is stupid. What if I play Devil's Advocate here? You play it, some stuff dies, you don't get six energy, you get five, and I blow it up. That's a risk you run. Because um, at that point, you're playing... Because I think that's like the one thing is it's almost like the reward for playing a do-nothing card. is Until you get a payoff from it, this does nothing. 
Yeah. But I'm okay with that though. Like it, it cheats mana cost. Like it's it, it good. cheats mana cost. It's one of those cards where it's like this comes down, and I, I mean I'll be honest, this probably isn't going to wander because I never want to cast it into this, <laughs> and I run too many things that kill my own artifacts, so I never want to play this in Master Wander. No, it's the last place it wants to go. <laughs> but I mean, like token deck, sure. Um, any of your green black decks, decks, yeah, because you're sacking stuff left and right. And it's just one of those things where it's like, it's four mana, and I get to play a spell at a later time. Like, that's just so cool. I guess is this card seems better when there's more of it in a deck. Like, this seems a lot more attuned to an actual constructed format, like Standard or Modern, than it does Commander. I, because at least with, like, with, you can get one of these out, and then combo it out with all the other energy stuff that... That gets to that comes out in Kaladesh, so sacrifice that worm, get the other energy counters from everything else, and all of a sudden you have six without even going into the graveyard. No, I'm gonna, and then you just free cast your rest of your hand. Or I disagree hand. with you real hard here. Yes, like having four copies in your deck and just having redundancy is cool. You know what I get to do in Commander? I can just bring it right back. There's so many ways to bring artifacts from your grave to be your hand and back in the field. It's four mana. Four mana is nothing in Commander in the late game. So even if like I just slam this down early, you know, we're just racking up all these sack, sack, sack. Like right. when it dies, I don't lose my energy. That's I still true. keep that. So if I can recur this at a later point, and you know, let's say I've racked up like eighteen energy, I can, you know, play this, tap it, sack it, recur it somehow, tap it, sack it, and just start casting things for free. Like this card's stupid. Uh, weird question. Does this does this card get an energy counter from itself going to the graveyard, or does it not apply because it's going to the graveyard? Like, if this went to the um, graveyard... It would be it... in your graveyard and not in play, so I don't think it would see itself. Okay. I don't think so, but... And... I'm not a real judge. I'll be honest, like... Yeah, it's, re it's relevant, but I don't think it's that relevant to care about right now. I think now. this card could work in standard with a, with a deck that, that makes energy counters... More but, than it should. I think the really cool thing about it is the fact that it actually casts the spells. So I'm going to run you through a wild ride here, right? Mm -hmm. I want to so, get off Mr. Bones' wild ride. Alright, so you're not going to get off my bones. Um, <laughs> turn one, right? I play the blue-red Fastland. Yep. I play Thriving Turtle, who is a 0-3 who's got some shitty ability. And, whoops. And, <laughs> he gets me two energy when he ETBs. Then I play Forests. On turn two, I get a Voltaic Brawler. He's a good aggressive attacker. Turn three, I play another Voltaic Brawler. I'm not spending their energy, obviously. Turn four, I play this. Activate it, go into Emrakul. Jeez. Magical <laughs> Christmas Land. Yep. And it would be pretty ridiculous. If there's any deck that really starts taking advantage of ener energy and has any excuse to be playing high drop cards like that, then I think this has a chance of seeing constructed play. It's low. It's real low. Yeah. <laughs> I um, it's the dream. <laughs> but I think there's a little bit of hope from not the energy it creates, funny enough. Like, that's almost like you're incidental. I think you just go off the energy you're creating to do other things. Gotcha. It took right. a while to figure out what the hell that stupid uh, blue one drop the fucking turtle was. You made it work. <laughs> All right, Aetherworks Marvel. We're going to switch you over to probably the cutest card in this set, which is my number five. 
Um, where the heck is it? Here it is. Filigree Familiar. Aww. He's an artifact box. For three mana, you get a 2-2. Two -two. Uh, when Filigree Familiar enters the battlefield, you gain two life. And when it dies, draw a card. Because it's the only thing that can call your sadness. <laughs> it's funny you say that, it's a... Uh... It's a, a baby version of Sad Robot. That's you know that's the first thing I saw when I saw this. I said this is Sad Robot's pet because it does the exact same thing <laughs> oh, when it dies. <laughs> and I feel like the game the gain to life is so minor that it just you're playing it to sacrifice it. And yeah. I think yep. like gaining to life just is just almost nothing. And the it, two two is almost nothing. So it, what I think is really cool about it is it could be cyborg tech if we start seeing a lot of aggressive decks. Okay. A lot of the decks I'm looking to build and are interested are like these low to the ground red aggressive decks. So this would be good cyborg tech against it because gaining two life while incremental is solid. It puts up a 2-2 blocker, which is very good for trading with things. And then I draw a card, so it's almost like I'm not even trading with you. Right. So I think it's really cool for that. And with it being a three drop, there's a little bit of an argument to be made that we might have Wretched Griffs emerging out of this dumb thing. Because we're currently playing, you know, granted, we've got like, what is it? I think it's Kite Sail or something. That is, uh, what is that dumb one? It's like oh. a three drop. It's he's playing EDH. Um, you're just regardless. Uh, I think it's just, it has a home in those kinds of decks where it's one of those cards that wants to be sacrificed. It wants you to kill it. And it gets you incremental value when it comes in. Because, like, the, you're right. The two life is nothing. Almost. Like, there's a little bit of value to be had by that two life. It'll save you from getting beat in the face for one turn. Yeah, like, I'm not upset to have the two life. But, like, increment or incidental life gain like that, I'm never upset to have it. Right. But at the same time, like, I almost get to play the card in a sideboard because of it. And it blocks, and it trades, and it draws me a card. Like, it's just, it, it... It does a lot of things. It does a lot of things. It's just like, I'm going to catch you up from behind, buddy. Don't worry. I'm your <laughs> loyal, sad robot I mean, we could friend. break it down like this. Like, I pay one mana for a 2-2 blocker, one mana to gain two life, one mana to potentially draw a card. See, that's the sad thing, because I don't want to pay a mana to pay two life or get two <laughs> life. That just feels awful. <laughs> Healing self gets me three. Okay, fine. You pay two life to dr potentially draw a card. I pay two life. Or... Hey, you know what I mean. Pay two mana to potentially draw a card. Oh, so this is a black card. Did you not know? I had no idea. <laughs> I mean... I get what you mean. Like, yeah, you kind of yeah, break it I down mean, like a, Like, the rates are good here. Yes. You know, drawing a card... Like, cantripping? I've paid one mana to cantrip. A 2-2? Two -two, I paid one mana for that. Okay. Two life? I don't pay for that. Dumb, you know? Dumbest question in the world. Is that what cantripping is? Cantripping is a minor spell that has draw a card printed on it. Okay, so Filigree Familiar is a cantrip, basically? I wouldn't call them a cantrip. No, but usually it, cantrips are one mana. Okay. Usually they're one mana, and it's just a spell you play that immediately replaces itself. Like an exception gotcha. to the one mana rule is like Stratus Walk was a two mana enchantment that was still considered a cantrip. Yeah, okay. But here, just regardless. Good card? I like it. I yeah, think it's cool. really good. I think it's a great sideboard card, if nothing else. It's, it's awesome and limited. And the art? Wait, it's a, art? A plus. It's a puppy. Spot on. It was in the... It's uh, a box, actually. Bark? Nope. Well, they kind of. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a <laughs> quick question for Commander. Hmm. You think that it uh, might end up in, like, a Marin deck? I mean, just gain two life, draw a card every <laughs> turn? 
Can you, like, be oh, more, a little bit I, more indecisive for me? I want to throw this out here. I've seen two Marin decks. One was really good. One I see on a regular basis. <laughs> that is a political way to put it. Very much like a commander player. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's very good for Marin. I'd rather be getting Sakura every turn or what else every turn. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Cody? Robert. You got for me. Inventor's Apprentice. Inventor's Apprentice. Or how does the alphabet work? That's how it works. Because the kids have been calling them lately. Nerd Ape. Nerd? Oh, okay. Kind of like a Kurt Ape. Yep. Inventor's Apprentice for one red, you get a one, Cute, two. Huh? It's a human artificer. Surprise. Another right? artificer. Inventor's Apprentice gets plus one. I plus now one. understand the Nerd Ape. <laughs> yeah, right? As long as you control an artifact. So is this basically Kurt Ape, but he's a nerd instead of a yeah, giant he's a, gorilla? He's a nerd because he cares about inventions instead of forest. <laughs> Monkeys. Is this why you put it? Because Kurt Ape's one of your favorite cards? No, I think this card's insanely good. Really? Um, two ones for one red have traditionally been very playable. They've seen a lot of competitive play. They've been at top eight tables many times before. Uh, Kurt Ape was a very powerful card for a long time. Kurt Ape has actually been banned in the past. I don't really? remember what format it was actually <laughs> in. Like, I don't remember what other sets we were in. But, like, it's a powerful card. And this is essentially a Kurt Ape, but the... You know, just like Kurt Ape, I'm not getting to get its ability until turn two at least. But, you know, that's where I kind of talk about some of the cards. Like, I've done in reverse the curve I would like to be playing. Mm -hmm. I'd like to play an Inventor's Apprentice into a Smuggler's Copter into a PNLR. Okay. You know, bang in for two. Uh, or, excuse me, play play the card, bang in for two. And then next turn, I bang in for five. Like, it's just a really powerful ability. It's not very flashy. I think I'd want to be playing some other stuff. Like, I, it's really janky, but, like... Uh, Thraben Inspector, who gets me a clue token, because clues are, in fact, artifacts. Yeah. I think there's a home for either, like, a green-red or a white-red, a red-something artifact aggro deck. And I'm an aggro player at heart, so that's what I think really speaks to me for this card. I'll tell you this much. You did when you said it's not flashy. I agreed, because when I looked at it, I was just... It was nothing to me it's a two three for one all i saw was i didn't even see that i saw a one two for one red i'm like okay it'll block like a one one and not die and it'll get a plus one plus one Woo, but that that did not like wow me in any way hey man Tarmac and apparently like that it's i'm way off because tarmac wife has a habit of coming down as a two three for uh two mana and that's not very good this guy is one man or less. It's like a super Tarmogoyf. Yeah, but then Tarmogoyf turns okay. into, nope. you know, a five, what, a five, six, and just starts wrecking face on everything in modern? Yeah, he's just the king of efficiency. But yeah. I think this is really good, too. I mean, yeah. Kurt, oh, yeah. Kurt Ape is playable in, you know, Zoo decks. He's been a long staple because of that. And, like, Wild Nakato was banned from modern for a long time because it was a 3-3 three, three for one. Like, You think this opens up any doors in modern? I don't know if there's enough artifact stuff to kind of work with. I mean, there is like, now, right? You could kind of go, like, turn one, mountain, this, Memnite, pass. Some sort of, like, <laughs> affinity deck is super janky, but, like, I'm not yeah, saying but, it's not there. But see, then, you know, you get to justify things like Lightning Bolt. Yeah. You could splash, you know, white and, you know, essentially go, like, a red, white, 
artifact burn deck that just goes for a little more efficiency on the creatures. Yeah, I don't know if there's an archetype to be built around him, but he's he's good. And if you know if he decided to show up in modern, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I don't know what that was. <laughs> we got a, got a bug flying around. He's he's all right. You don't bother him, he won't bother you. That's the deal. Mm-mm. Kevin, moving on. This is our top three, by the way. I don't think we we gave it that proper proper respect. No, you said the last one was your. Uh... Your fifth pick. Did I? Yeah. That's because I switched it. I know. Way, you so. messed up with the order. <laughs> yeah. Doing I'm, these in reverse order is so difficult. I'm always. the idiot. Not you guys. Kevin, what do you got for me? All right. So this one definitely streams Commander. Panharmonicon. Ooh, I like this one. Oh, Panharmonicon. All right. For a four draw, or for four mana, get an artifact. If an artifact creature, artifact or creature entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability or of a permanent Wow, I cannot read. It's I'm going to start over one more time. All right. Panharmonicon. For four manas, you get an artifact. If an artifact or a creature entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers a second time. Sorry, an additional time if you want to get all rulesy on it. Um, so this card's really sweet. Um, Commander is built on the back of, you know, a couple things. Board wipes, ramp, and enter the battlefield triggers. And card draw. And card draw. Um, That's good. Which, Four more colors. often than not, stems from enter the battlefield triggers. <laughs> um, I mean, I could just spit out a ton of these. Um, I think the ones that are most relevant to like every deck would be like um, Sad Robot. Yeah. Yeah, um, Sad Robot's great. Terastodon. I can't I mean, use my usual nickname for him. <laughs> um, yeah, just this comes down, this does X and Y. And the cool thing to point out here is, like, it doesn't say, like, tr- you know, triggered abilities from, like, a specific, like, artifact or creature. It's, like, creature comes in, causes something to trigger. So it doesn't have to come from the creature that's coming in. It could come from something that uh, is already on the board that triggers buy other stuff coming in. So it's one of those like weird things. Um it's really powerful. You know, you're gonna draw extra cards. It it's the doubling season of triggers. Yeah. I mean don't get me wrong, I do want to play a Terrasidon and just blow up six lands. Yeah. Um I mean Rings of Bright Hearth is an extremely expensive card. It's a staple in commander. It comes down for one less, but you have to pay two for every trigger you want to copy. Yep. This, I pay four mana up front, and I don't pay anything else. Yeah, no, I think it's really cool. I really like the things it does for ADH. It, it plays with a lot of those decks that like ETB effects. Like, I could see this going in, like, a rune deck, because it'd be cool to not only be flickering my Eternal Witness every turn, but having my Eternal Witness trigger twice. Yep. Yeah. Um, Look at that. Palantron. Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, just cast this Palantron. I'm gonna... Just go infinite quicker. Yeah. Um, We could go all day. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff you can just double (laughs) on. Like, I don't think it's worthwhile to explain every little thing. Just look through your commander deck and see everything that says when enters or when something enters. And then go, oh, I have to do this more. Does this have any bearing in other formats? Nothing. It costs too much. Um, One more time? <laughs> Apparently Cody thinks it's bad. That's a zero, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, four mana in standard, I think this costs way too much. All right. 
It's commander only then. It's commander yeah. only. Don't let me see this in your pre-release decks. <laughs> I, you, I'm sure there's gonna be someone who puts just like a freaking amazing deck together. Like, yeah, it just totally works. And you look at it, it's like, oh my god, you're not wrong. How'd you do that? Well, your magic community is innovative. If your else. gear hulks trigger twice. <laughs> I was actually just thinking, man, yeah. this should trigger my gear hulks <laughs> twice, <in> commander. <laughs> All right, moving on to my wait. Which one is this? Number three. Can you imagine Panharmonicon with like primetime? Oh, primetime go get four lands. It's like you paid nothing for it. Well, you, I mean that card's just busted as hell. All right, so my number three is the representative of what I want to actually talk about: Botanical Sanctum. It's a land, and a Botanical Sanctum enters the battlefield tapped unless you control two or fewer lands. Tap, add blue or green. Um, this was called what anti fast lands, right? What's is do we have a cool name for this yet? Yeah, these are just fast lands. These are fast lands. Oh, right, duh, I'm an idiot. Anti fast lands were like a different name for right. Tango or BFZ. So these or... are fast lands because obviously they are more useful if you get them out sooner. They're fast, they're fast, they need, um, they need to be fast or they're slow. I think what you were looking for was they're the enemy colored fast lands. There you go, that's what I was thinking. Thank you, yeah. Kevin. No problem. Um, you're right. Given what we had, we had shock lands or pain lands. I think was the actual name of them um, and stuff like that. Standard used to be really, really quick about getting mana out. We, like uh, the cons uh, fetch lands just rotated out, and now we see standard getting the fast lands. Which if you don't get them out, all of a sudden your your tempo kind of slows down a little bit because it'll enter tapped. Then the guild gates, and then yeah. that's apparently not that good. So, how do we feel about these guys? So, I think they're pretty interesting for, like, a three-color mana base because they have the potential to be really good early on, so you want to play a lot of them. Like, you know, if I'm playing and you know, I'll say, like, a traditional shard. Like, if I'm playing Bant, like, this is Botanical Sanctum's the one I'm playing. And it's really powerful if it's, you know, my turn one, two, or three play. You know, it's coming in, it's a dual land, essentially, for me. But the problem is it becomes so much weaker as the game goes on. Right. And it, you usually find that late in the game, that's when you're wanting to hit your curve a little bit more. Um, something like standard, you tend to be playing a little bit bigger spells than you would play in other formats. Well, not EDH, but yeah, this, like modern or legacy. Like you're playing bigger spells. So a land coming into play tapped late in the game can be kind of detrimental as you're trying to curve out. So I think that's one of the downsides to them. But they have proven themselves when they were in the Allied Colors back in... It's somewhere in Scar's Block. I don't remember what set they actually got printed in. But they did prove themselves to be powerful lands. And they've even been powerful role players in other formats. Um, in Modern in particular, you know, you take Jund. Black Cleave Cliffs is one of the best lands in the deck. Because it comes down and allows you to bolt Thoughtseize or Inquisition on turn one. Or depending on how you build your sideboard, you also have like your option to disfigure on turn one and use it in the same way where or you even may want to use something like just fetch a swamp up for that purpose so it's neither here nor there but like it gives you a lot of options yep. a lot of options really quick and even there's a black white one of these that people are talking about for abzan builds in modern because they've never had as good of a mana base without these and those support people playing thought seize inquisition or path to exile on turn one which path on turn one can be really rough, 
but it does support a lot of things for you where it just it gives you your options to do things without paying life because you know as happy as we are in those formats to fetch pain one and then shock ourselves pain two like it doesn't feel good and it does add up we do have these different aggressive decks that are really able to take advantage of it you know like i was talking about earlier we have a few decks that can get turned you know death shadow the aggro can do a turn two kill but like turn three doesn't sound crazy for it in the slightest let alone if we take something like you know burn burn can very consistently kill on three to four and the fact that people are willing to bolt themselves inherently by these special lands plus the shock lands is a huge reason for that so these really give you a lot of leeway with that granted they're not a direct replacement but they just kind of bring down the numbers and keep your life total a little bit higher which is what i like about them gotcha your format my format too edh oh they're terrible they're, they're, hot, awful. they're steamy hot garbage <laughs> we play a ton of lands um, but i draw some the, opening hand i, I, I get... do there are like a couple decks that will run them and the reason why is they run like 12 lands yeah and that's because and though that doesn't happen as much anymore oh partial both, paris those decks are dead yeah most people don't play with the old partial paris rules if you do then you, you get away with 12 lands you just go seven nope seven nope six there's a land okay cool land mana rock mana rock mana rock wheel <laughs> let's go <laughs> Yeah, th- those decks don't exist anymore. <laughs> so fast lands are, are all right. They're they're better than what everyone, what I expected them to be because I didn't really think much of it. Yeah, because the other thing is you keep in mind you're good to go until turn three. Yeah, and after that they're rough. They're good though. Like they're really solid okay. fixing. Um, having the ability to come into play untapped is usually pretty good. You know, like our buddy lands are solid. Our tingle lands I think are really good. Um, hand lands, the shadows lands, if you will, I don't like just because they require an additional card. But a lot of lands like that, if you have some way to make them come and play on tap, can usually be pretty solid. Okay, awesome. Well, we've gone to, we've reached the top two, which is exciting, ladies and gentlemen. Cody, you start us off with your second card on the list. I was going to say second card. I read that ages ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, top two. I think we. I think you guys will probably get more exciting than I will because I'm just really I'm playing value, just efficient cards. Oh, um, you'll see. <laughs> I put this one a little bit higher than my last one just because I think as a card it is inherently a little bit more powerful. Um, there are things I think might keep it out of the format, so I'm a little torn up on it. It's Toolcraft Exemplar. Toolcraft Exemplar. For one white, you get a 1-1. One, one. It's the first dwarf artificer we've talked about in this set. Yeah, dwarves. Uh, at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control an artifact, Toolcraft Exemplar gets plus 2, plus 1 until end of turn. If you control three or more artifacts, it also gains first strike okay, I see what you're up until to. end of turn. Yeah. So what are you up to, Cody? Um, I was kind of talking earlier. You know, I think there's a... Are you just giving us your deck list at this moment? <laughs> I mean, I, I, there are a lot of cards I like for the deck. Um, we also have the Fastland for that deck. Oh, weird. Um, I think there's a Boros strategy going around right now. And this is one of the cards that plays into it. It's a very aggressive card. It pairs well with cards like Smuggler's Copter, Pia Nalar... You know, Thraben Inspector, which yeah. is another one drop I'd like for the list. Like, it just pairs well with those cards. And that's what I like is it's a very efficient beater. My huge detriment to this card and why I think it should probably be lower than Nerd Ape on the list 
is it's a 1-1 during my opponent's turn, so their Lily does kill it. Okay. But when I start getting aggressive enough with this card, it's just so backbreakingly good. And, you know, it's you read the text on it. When, he, when I have one artifact, he's just a face beater. When I get the three artifacts, he's a face beater that's really hard to block. And I'm fine with the one artifact ability if I'm not hitting the two, the three artifact ability. But it's just gravy. It's just a really efficient card. I think the like the only downside is, like I said, I don't think one toughness is where you want to live in this set right now. And I think that's the one thing that might keep it out if it, if I can't make it work. But I really want to. And more importantly, it's the only dwarf I put on my list. I mean, a 1-1 one, one, one for 1 is perfectly fine as an opening move, isn't it? Like, for a few it, turns it, of the it's game. It's got to have other impact. I mean, a 1-1 one, one for 1, it's weird because a 2-2 two, two for 2 is on curve, but a 1-1 one, one for 1 is not quite there. I really? think you kind of yeah. take the uh, the Goblin Guide approach here, where it's, I played turn 1. Uh, obviously, you don't attack turn 1 because yeah. it doesn't have haste. Goblin Guide's insane. Um... So, you know, turn two, you follow it up by playing an artifact, and then if you swing for three, you're probably going to connect. That's my assumption here. Oh, yeah. Um, you've done your three damage. You've, you've essentially got your lightning bolt for one mana. Everything if, else is gravy. If, if it dies to their turn three, and I think this is the cool part, if you're on the play, Lily's not on the board yet. You get another attack without being Lilied. Yep. So I think that you just kind of take the Goblin Guide approach here and... I hit you once, I'm happy. If this card did its job, it's up to everything else here now. Yeah, it's like almost like that burn mentality, which, I mean, that's aggro as a whole, is you just, you try to pound through things as fast as possible and just kind of, you know, you, you, you assign a number to your cards almost and see what they can do to reduce the life total by that much. And once they've done that, they're good. You don't need them yep. anymore. And cool. if they do more, <laughs> your opponent's not you're happy. <laughs> good job, Toolcraft. I like him. He's a dwarf. Yeah, and he's a dwarf. We need more dwarf representation in Magic. When was the last time we saw dwarves in Magic? Lower one block. Jeez. And they were like Duragur. They looked stupid. They were in Boros colors. Goodness gracious. Kevin, what's your number two on your list? All right, we're finally there. All right, tell me. Get get hyped. What is it? We are on Rashmi again. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were oh, yeah. <laughs> you censored yourself oh. to talk about her this time. Rashmi, Attorney's Crafter. We already read her once. Oh yeah, she's an elf. Yeah, a druid. She's an elf. She's an elf those druid. Those are relevant. I'm, 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 this is my moment now. Oh my god. Good. Commander. She's four mana. That's a great spot to be for a commander. Oh, I hear she's like Momir Vig. Mm -hmm. uh, she pairs well, actually. <laughs> you you play Momir Vig and her in the 99, or you play her and Momir Vig in the 99. It's great. Um, if you're in blue-green period, you're probably playing a creature theme. Uh, so you play both of them in Blue Green X. Uh, she's an elf. She synergizes with elves. Um, you know, throw her in Leovold, go wide, play elves. Um, you get card draw, card advantage. Um, it's you're cheating mana cost. Blowing your mind. She's at two three. Um, I mean that body is respectable a bit, like. You're stretching, man. I like her too. <laughs> That's a good body. It's respectable. You get there. Surprisingly, more often than you'd think with commander damage on two threes, especially when green is your color set. Um, you've got Craterhoof Behemoth, you've got Ibex. These dudes, you play big creatures in these decks, and then the Ibex, and you know, goes, oh, you have this 8-8. Well, now she's a, you know, 10-11, swinging for a turn. 
you get there a lot. She does it three more times, so come with commander damage. <laughs> I mean, in Mouse Wander, you know, like, that's, you know, 10 damage still? She's like, a great card, but her 2 3 is not one. 2 wide. 3 body is an alright body. Um, especially when you read that paragraph of text. I'm fine with the 2 3 body. She's not. I think the it's not why we love is, her. I mean, the important thing here is she's not getting pinged <laughs> off by a lot of the like little pingers that get ran in uh, Commander. You know, your. Uh, what's the Titan? Infernal Titan. She's not getting, you know, oh, I'm going to put one on her and kill her. Like, that three toughness, I think, is important. But he still kills her. <laughs> he does. <laughs> but he doesn't kill another thing. So it's not super... Vi- I, I get what you're saying. I just Like, you're paying six mana to kill her in this instance. I mean, it's, it's just not like, you know, she's a 7-7 seven, seven for four mana or anything. I, I don't care. Like, I like her. I like it's her like, body. I, I like that body. I, just girl that body. No. <laughs> I'm getting cameras away from you. <laughs> Do we play her for her ability? Oh, two um, threes, all right. She's an elf. That's relevant. She's blue. That's relevant. She's green. That's relevant. She's relevant. She's she's crazy. Um, I like her and Wander. I'm getting more free stuff. Free stuff's okay. Free yeah. stuff. Free stuff. Free stuff. Card right. draw. Free Amazing stuff. Who likes free stuff? Just. I went crazy when I saw this card. You went yeah. crazy. I went crazy. I was like, every time they print a blue green legendary. Even if it's blue-green X, I love it. Because it's... Blue-green X is the best color set in Commander. Ooh, you can't tell me otherwise. There it goes. Blue-green X. He made that claim. Cody, blue-green do you agree? Or just blue-green. Yeah. I agree, because it's the only deck I play is a blue-green deck. Cody? Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Pairs well with other colors, too. Um, I kind of cheated with my number two. I'm not doing this for value. Or, like, I think the card was cool or anything. I think what the card conveys was really cool. And I want to talk about my love for it. Die Young. Uh, we want to talk about sad cards. This is the saddest of cards. Die Young for one black sorcery, two target creature. You get two energy counters. Then you may pay any amount of energy counters. Creature gets minus one, minus one until on a turn for each energy counter paid this way. However, I like the flavor text. When the time comes, let go. Nothing lasts forever. So this card um, represents basically everything that is the Aetherborn in the world of magic. They come into the world, they're, what did you say, they're hedonistic, yeah. they're, they're narcissistic, they, you know, they're thrill seekers, they live life to, its, to their fullest in the mon- matter of, what, months? Yeah, they don't even sleep. Yeah, and then they fade away into nothingness. And that's like the most tragic and yet happy things that I've seen in Magic. Like, it's a very mature theme for Magic to take on that, like. So they're the reverse elves. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, in like mystical lore, elves live so long and they get to see humans. Yeah. Humans are going to see through like an elf side. And elves are basically like. Like, they, they become more stoic as time goes on because they've just seen it all. Aetherborns, they don't see nearly as much as they'd like to, and before they know it, they're they're just nothing. I think that's also kind of an interesting juxtaposition is the fact that on this plane we have elves, and just, like, Aetherborn sided with elves, <laughs> and even dwarves who traditionally live pretty long lives. I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, normally it's humans who are the young, stupid race that live fast and die young. Right. 
Uh, and I think that's kind of cool. This card also is just another one of those examples of why I think a one power or excuse me a one toughness is scary. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, because you get the bank and energy. You kill my toolcraft exemplar and bank and energy for later. <laughs> but, but it's uh, also cool because it scales with more energy. Yeah. I don't know. I, I definitely did not care anything about if it was a worthy card or like if it was a card that you should play. I just wanted to point out the the tragedy that is the Aetherborn. Which I hope I hope they they continue to do stuff like this and put like just die young as a card name when your demographic is on the younger side. Yeah. It's just yeah. a weird thing to put on a card. No, I can see where you're coming from. So like from. every time they look at it, they're like Oh, that's right. We're human. Like, we're all mortals. I think uh, when I first saw this card, I think Live Fast got spoiled first. Or yeah. at least it was the one I saw first. And I'm like, oh, Live Fast, that's kind of cool. And I saw Die Young, I'm like, oh, that's even cooler. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just like that. You know, for the way the ways That was described. the reaction I had when I saw the spoilers, too. Yeah. Like, they didn't have that wall. I literally went from Live Fast. I'm like, okay, that's a cool card, cool ability. And I was like, Die Young. I'm like... Oh, I get, I get it. it. It's sweet. <laughs> I, I get the joke. Good job, Wizards. You're on the joke. All right. We're, we've made it. We're almost there. Uh, but I'm going to interrupt. That might, okay. You probably didn't interrupt. Somebody oh. couldn't just limit their number. You know. Oh, that's a. right. Yeah, I've got honorable Cody's mentions. Got his stupid honorable mention. I had cards that couldn't quite make my list because I, there's so much I like out of this set. So we're going to do these ones a little bit quick. Right. I'm going to go ahead and read through them sure. for us. Sure, you got three sentences per card. Uh, that's not true because I'm going to read the whole card. Okay, besides uh, the card. Authority of the Consoles. Authority of the Consoles. One white. One white, again, enchantment. Creatures your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, you gain one life. All right, it's two sentences. You got one more. Uh, nope, I'm going to keep just talking <laughs> for a second. This does a great impression of Blind Obedience, except I don't have to be paying the extort cost to gain life off it. It doesn't do that great of an impression because I'm not having my art or their artifacts enter the battlefield tapped. But this is an all-around solid stacks card. Next one is going to be Harnessed Lightning. Oh, hold on. I was going to say, I'm uh, just ready. Consoles of the Lieutenant uh, is basically you combine it with Thalia, and it's like, have fun never doing getting things done on your turn. Yeah, right. <laughs> Harnessed uh, Lightning. One in a red, again, instant. Choose target creature. You get three energy. Then you may pay any amount of energy. Harnessed Lightning deals that much damage to that creature. I think this one's pretty cool because this is a really elegant way to use a lightning strike or a lightning bolt effect. Dear yeah. God, do I wish this could target players. Um, what's really cool is I, I get to target someone and then, or excuse me, I get to target a creature and I pass priority. They get to choose whether or not they pump it. If they don't pump it to try and save it, then I use however much energy I need exactly to kill it. There is no reacting because the spell is resolving at that point. Wow. That's brutal. Um, that's what I really like about it. I think it's a little bit of a skill tester. Next one, Cathartic Reunion. Oh, that's so happy. Hey, I know. This is a really happy card, but that's not why I chose it. This is just super... <laughs> I hate happiness. Uh, for one in a red, I get a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast Cathartic Reunion, discard two cards, draw three cards. This is Tormenting Voice on Speed. This is another piece to the Dredge deck in Modern. And I think this ha may even have play in Standard. Uh, Tormenting Voice is already a powerful card. Yes, this does have a little bit more of a cost associated with it. Because Tormenting Voice is this with two cards, essentially. Okay. Um, yeah, I think this thing can just go insane. Super filtered deck. Yeah, just hyper filter. 
Um, next one, Wiley Bandar. Wiley? Aha. There's a couple of weird points on this one. Okay. So Cat for, monkey? Yeah, I know. <laughs> for one green, I get a 1-1 one, one cat monkey. Okay. Why Simic get on this plane? Uh, yeah, no, it's super freaking weird, and we don't normally get uh, monkeys. We normally get apes, I think. So that's another just like weird point on it. Um, this card's at common, which is actually a huge deal. For two and a green, Wily Bandar gains indestructible. It's all in a turn. That's because they've replaced Regenerate. Uh, Morrow actually answered this earlier today. Really? They do not like Regenerate. It's a confusing and obnoxious ability, and this is how they're looking to template it going in the future. Just give everything indestructible? It's give it indestructible time to turn. Huh. Yeah. It's Weird. better than Regenerate. It yeah. is. It's better than Regenerate, and Regenerate's an obnoxious ability that most players don't know how it works, and like it still gets around the sack claws... It's just, it does a lot of things similar to Regenerate, all things considered, but a lot of those stupid cards that for whatever reason, for years and years we've printed of just destroy target creature, it can't be Regenerate, like, it, it was never relevant. Yes, it would come up from time to time, but it was always a dumb clause, and it just, it made Regenerate feel that much more worthless, that if a creature just had Regenerate, it was... You don't care I that often. I think the only, like, real people that are going to be affected by that are like modern players on occasion but mostly commander and that's just because there are times where it's like i play spot removal oh you regenerate cool i play another piece of spot removal <laughs> or a board wipe yeah like but i mean if you respond with me if uh, you're re removing something you respond with instant speed removal i still die yeah but that's assuming i'm like the board wipe part here does is relevant that is sorcery speed the board wipe yeah but like I mean, in most instances, it's not super relevant. It's, it's a very corner case argument, and I'm not even arguing with the change. I'm just saying like, it's it, relevant. It, it does mean something different. But it, it is clearing up the rules and making them more simple and make more sense for the sake of simplicity. All right. More honorable mentions? I do, but you don't have pictures of these ones. These were last-minute ones. So in the history of magic, we have a specific creature type that has not seen a lot of love. It has actually only ever seen three cards. You still have the cat monkey up there? Yeah. Um, that is camel. camel. Camels are some of my favorite animals. Oh my gosh. Um, in this set, we get a new camel. Tell me about your camels. They're all white, uh, but let's talk about the newest one all right. last. We'll talk about the original camel. Camel from Arabian Nights. He is a zero one for one creature type camel. He bans. All creatures attacking in a band with camel are immune to damage done by deserts. You said bands, and mm -hmm. that no, let's just move on. <laughs> this camel protects other people from deserts. Just that's just important. That, that's that's an ability. No, we had made. to wait. If I'm not mistaken, after that one, ten or eleven years, and we got Dromad purebred in original Ravnica. For four and a white, I got a 1-5. Now, this one was originally actually written down as a beast, but it has since been errated as a camel. Whenever Dromad <laughs> Purebred is dealt damage, you gain one life. I'm sorry. Hold on. Back up. That card <laughs> started as a beast. It, it yeah. got errated to camel? Yeah, they cleared up a lot of creature types. Oh, okay. I thought it was like, no, this seriously needs to be a camel. Like, I uh, thought bro was... is a camel. Like, <laughs> There's no home. Now we're ushering in the new age. 
the new age of camels, with tasseled dromedary. Tell me about that camel. For one white mana, I get an 0-4. Oh Creature type camel. That was me dropping the mic. Was that? Is it a... Kobe, I hate you. Camels are some of my favorite animals. That's a, it's a 0-4. It's a 0-4. It's a blocker. That's yeah. a minute and a half of all of our lives, and if people re-listen to this, that, you know, duplicates... Hey man, yeah, we've lost. It took me eleven more years to get another camel. We get like a camel like every ten <laughs> years in Magic. This is a huge coming of camels. Of camels. What do you, nope. what do you call a group of camels, Cody? <laughs> I don't think that's, that's true. That's what camels would call it. Okay. Far less important. I'm glad that you got. I'm glad that you got your camels. I'm happy really for you. I was actually thrilled. It was like four in the morning. I'm on Mythic Spoiler. I see that go up. I'm like, <gasps> another camel. I mean, to be honest, given the setting of Kaladesh, why would there not be a camel, right? Right. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Camel Legendary, Camel Tribal. It's a thing. Watch it, out, kids. Isn't oh there my a, god. Isn't there a isn't there a buff spell, like a become immense-like in this set that is basically a giant camel? Yeah, it, looks like, it looks like a Ronto from Star Wars. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, Cody. They better print a decent werewolf commander before they print a uh, camel. Oh, they already printed commander. all... Re- oh. That's no. a decent. Not all commander, or not all legendary creatures are printed for commander, Kevin. That's fine. But let's be honest, werewolves is a casual... Um, yeah, they're type. awful. You're insane <laughs> if you want to play those in Commander. And that's why you know they should just make a great Commander so they, for Werewolves. They made a great <laughs> General to fit that. He's not good. Like, they nailed it. They're like, yeah, you want to flip your stuff on control? Sure, man. Here, have this piece of garbage. Just, and I played that deck that one time, and it did not go well. <laughs> it didn't. I'm pretty sure I thrashed you. Do you have any more honorable mentions? Yeah, he's my number one, actually. Your, your honorable mention is your number one? Yeah, why not? All right, what what is your honorable Moving mention? Moving on, past our honorable mentions, after we spent all our time, it is Wiley Vandar, my number one. <laughs> no, number it's, one. Yeah. it's actually Cataclysmic Gearhulk. We got a lot of this Gearhulk cycle on here. It's like Gearhulks are useful or something. They they have a powerful ability. So, Catac- before we go on with this, I just want to point out, we have employees and players that are like, oh, the gear holds are bad. We don't want to play with them. They made three of our slots. Yeah. There and funny go. enough, a lot of people, when they cite uh, EDH, they cite the blue one, which we skipped. Oh, I, I think it's... I, for that effect, there's just better things. Nah, I didn't include a gear hulk because, eh. Nighting and sorceries is big. Like, that's all I wanted out of it. Because the gear hulk. You get that stereo right there? Yeah. Uh, for three and double white, you get a four five construct with vigilance. When Cataclysmic Gear Hulk enters the battlefield, each player chooses an artifact, a creature, an enchantment, and a planeswalker from from among the non-land permits he or she controls, then sacrifice the rest. Yep. So you get to keep whatever of those types you want. Everyone else, get yep. out of here. Why is this your number why is this your number one pick? I think this card is freaking awesome. I think it's probably going to spend a lot of time in sideboards, unfortunately, but I think it's just such a powerful effect as a whole. This is a balance effect. Granted, this is not balanced by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> um, it's it's clearing out things and kind of it's giving the even effect. Yeah. Um, you were kind of talking earlier about worlds that just nasty backbreaking finals. Which I'm so glad you brought up because I was going to bring up actually. It's um, almost like he played a similar card. Uh, one card really decided one of those matches. 
It's called Tragic Arrogance. It does pretty much, not completely, but pretty much the same thing. In exchange, you get a body. In exchange, you get a body. But what's even cooler about it is I get to choose, you know, you go through the options, artifact, creature, enchantment, and planeswalker. Well, I choose this as my artifact, then I choose a different creature as my creature. So I'm up on creatures. Nice. And I think that's going to be relevant often enough that it's a very powerful play. And just equaling out that board, unless I'm going completely wide, this is really good. I think this is just an absolute powerhouse. Do I think it's going to be the defining card of standard? No. Do I think this is one of the, in a vacuum, most powerful cards in standard? Yes, I really do. I think this guy is more powerful than someone I neglected to mention tonight because I just think she's been talked about too much. I think this, in a vacuum, I think this is more powerful than Chandra. Wow. Um, of course, I'm not talking about Chandra Pyrogenius. I'm talking about Torch of Defiance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's an incredible card. I kind of chose to leave her off my list because everything's been said about her. Every last ability has been talked about in depth to death, and we're doing this way later than everyone else who's already talked about her to death has. Yeah. So I don't think it's relevant for us to really beat the dead horse on that one too much. I mean, yeah, I get it. Chandra comes down. She draw. She either draws me a card or she burns everyone. Or, you know, I'm able to ramp into something stupid like I can do, you know, lightning axe pitching. Uh, what is it? it? You can pitch... Uh, God, I can't remember the Madness one-drop lightning bolt. There's the Madness one-drop lightning bolt, whose name I can't recall at the time. You know, I can play it with real cuteness. I can play Oath of Chandra, so I'm getting an effect out of that, where I burn... You know, you get the Planeswalker effect out of Oath of Chandra while playing it with Chandra. You clear the board state. Her ultimate's insane. Like, we get it. She's really damn good. I'll be honest, the only thing I cared about her was she gets to be a, uh, a red sky shrub playing for me in Commander. I have to go turn four Chandra. Yeah. Next turn I'm on six mana. Other than that, I was like, like don't get me wrong. I saw her. I was like, oh, that's really sweet. The lineup play is going to be the same almost. But every that Gearhulk though. That Gearhulk, Cataclysmic Gearhulk, is I think that's pseudo board wipe. I think he's an absolute tank. He has my favorite of the masterpieces. He's just an awesome card all around. I think he's going to be a huge role player. He's got a giant hammer. He does. He has a I giant like hammer it. with dudes on it. Dudes hanging out on that giant hammer. You know what he's going to do? He's going to squish the dudes. <laughs> No, he's gonna fling the dudes over his shoulder and then smack the opponent. Like, I think that's so cool. Alright. Good number one. I like it. Kevin, what's your what card do you want to talk about that is the number one? Okay, so I'm trying to figure I, out what it was. I, I said I freaked out about Rashmi. Yeah. I super freaked out about metallurgic signs. <laughs> okay. Where the frack is that? There it is. Metallurgic Summonings, three blue blue. You get an enchantment. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create an XX colorless construct artifact creature token. That's a mouthful. Where X is that spell's converted mana cost. And then for three blue blue, and you exile Metallurgic Summonings, return all instant and sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand. Activate this ability only if you control six or more artifacts. Okay, I see why. You would have a ball with that, but you tell me in your own words. Um, reiterate, probably for like the sixth time. I play Maelstrom Wander. <laughs> um, and I mean, I do play just other decks that are blue-green, and this fits in there. Um, Maelstrom Wander, I do a little bit lighter on the creatures, which actually I've had a lot of discussions with Cody here about that, because he 
a couple times it's tried to talk me out uh, into taking out the Boseju because it kills me half the time. Yep. Or I shouldn't say it kills me, it drops me about 10 to 20 life. Um, I play a lot of instants and sorceries, I ramp real hard, play as many taking extra turn spells as I can cascade into, and then, you know, I just play things like Selvala Stampede, um, I need to get Expropriate in there, like, there's just instants and sorceries that are big, that come down, that are just, like, take an extra turn, you know, like, I'm gonna play, you know, five mana, take an extra turn, get a five five as well. Like that's just stupid. That is, in essence, cheating mana cost. That's a free card. Um, and with Wander, like, you know, I play this, then I play Wander, I cascade into, you know, take an extra turn, take an extra turn. I have a five five and a seven seven token, and two more turns. I'm swinging in. I'm playing more spells. I'm maybe making more tokens. This can just snowball into stupid things. Um, I, it's a big spell. It does snowball. big things. We're using a snowball. I get it. Um, I don't even care about the second You're half because <laughs> I don't generally play artifact decks. But, I mean, like, that's also just not a bad ability to, you know, pay five mana to get back your time walk effects. Yeah, I think I'd rather just keep the token generator, but you do what you, like, it's a judgment call. If you can take four more turns and you have a board state, cool. Cody. Oh, we're waiting on me. Um, I'll say, do you have anything to add about I, I, I just, you know, nerded all over you, the place. You did mention it earlier regarding, mm -hmm. uh, I forget what, what we were talking about when you mentioned what it. What kind of token? It was excess colors. Colorless Constructs. It does use the same tokens, I okay. wasn't sure. Gotcha. Um, I think this card really shines in a spell slinging deck. Like, I do think it's got playing, like, especially your build a Maelstrom Wanderer. Um, this is an alternate win condition in, like, an Azami deck. This not only fuels you chaining your extra turns into one another, but this also protects itself. It doesn't have as much play in something like an Edric deck because you're just playing for protection. And once you've kind of got your realm going, you don't need to keep doing that. I think, like, I could even see this in a Talron deck for as expensive as it is because it just refills your hand. I mean, this seems like something you would do in a turn after you've high-tided, turnabouted, and you've just kind of started going off. Like, a Malik deck wouldn't mind this. A Mizzix deck wouldn't mind this because it's an alternate win condition. And, that, you know, that's something that made the Azami deck even more powerful was getting Dose into Perfection, which was a whole additional win condition. And that's just really important is... You know, they're very linear decks for the most part when it comes to spell slinging decks. They're trying to do a few different things and just kind of ride out to it. That this adds an additional layer to them where they have a, a better beatdown pattern, a better way to just kill everyone that way. So I think that's what's really cool about it is it also gives that, and it's blue recursion. Like, there's nothing yeah. bad about that. Um, I want to say, like, two really big things here. Um, first off, it... Like, lets me in the late game with Maelstrom Wanderer and probably any blue-green deck when, like, you topped up that, like, Nature's War or Sky Shroud play and you're like, okay, I'm clearly casting this because it's more ramp, but I pay two mana to go grab a land. Yeah, you know, turn, you know, seven, this doesn't feel great. But when I drop that 2-2 two -two that, you know, can block, you know, not everything in Commander is Trample, so blocking something big with a 2-2 two -two that you got for free feels great. Um, the second thing I want to say is, I want to live the dream. 
I need to live the dream. I want to go. What's the dream, Kevin? I want to go. End of your turn. I'm going to tutor, uh, mystical tutor, put uh, the miracle take an extra turn spell. You get your 1 1. I do get my 1 1. Which is. <laughs> Don't sure sell that one. Oh, I, I, told I, I, I get my 1 1. I'm like, you forgot your 1 1. I, I get my 1 so 1. Big. That, that dude they just to block later, or, you know, benefit off of a goat stupidly. <laughs> That's more goat targets. Sweet. Um, then, you know, go to my draw phase and draw that miracle. Pay two mana, get an extra turn, and a 7-7. Seven, seven. Yeah. I mean, this plays well with Miracles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's terminus. stupid. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it does kind of die, you know, feel ineffective with the Terminus. But, like, it's cool with some of the Miracle cards. Um, yeah, I just... It's effective, it's an engine. Um, the fact that, like... It's easy to say Mouster Wander is best at its core a creature deck. Oh yeah. This lets me make my instants and sorceries into creatures. That's sweet. Cause then I turn them sideways. Alright. Yeah. I'm about to up show all you fools my number one card. Robin. Don't believe you necessarily. Best no. card in the set. We get a little bit of a uh Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. ready? Oh, this is gonna be a two v one uh, argument here. <laughs> <laughs> Aetherflux Reservoir. Oh, no crap. <laughs> <laughs> Number one card in the set because I like things that. <laughs> you okay, Cody? Right <laughs> okay, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> Great. I like things that do stupid things. This is a stupid thing. Aetherflux Aether Reservoir for four mana and get an artifact. Whenever you cast a spell, you gain one life for each spell you've cast this turn. You pay 50 life, you wipe something off the map. Uh, no, you artifact. Aether Flux Reservoir deals 50 damage to target creature or player. Commander All Star. <laughs> you know what? It gives that Aloro deck a little bit more reach. And the thing I think is hilarious is when you just gotta remove the hell out of a creature. <laughs> like, the fact that's a clause on here, because they were just like, you know what, let's give it to you. Like, you're spending 50 life, nuke the hell out of that creature. Show it. Anything like, you want. <laughs> actually, that is actually really relevant. Stuffy doll. That's not relevant. That's the corner case. <laughs> it's relevant. I play Stuffy doll. I hit this with 50. Okay. I kill you all. Big ol'. Uh, question here. There's no. Is there. Not, there is no way, because I don't know anything about magic. Is there any way that this is playable at all in standard? Dear God, no. <laughs> I mean, maybe something gets. I, because printed. remember, whenever you I cast a hear... spell. When, oh, whenever you cast a spell, you pay. Or whenever you cast a spell, you gain one life for each spell you cast. It's a lot of life gain in, in, a, in a small format. Chris was saying earlier tonight that there is supposedly an edge deck in standard. Oh, I've seen that list. That is just, I haven't seen it. So that I is Jake to the extreme. <laughs> if, you, if you don't like playing magic and you like losing incredibly fast, that is the deck for you. So it's basically a worse version of Edge because at least with Edge you could win? Yes. Like, okay. it's just... I, Limited All-Star. Yes or uh, no? No. 
You live that dream. You live it. <laughs> you, if you do it, I'll shake your hand. Um, I think it's awesome. Like the first time I said this card, I took or saw this card. I took a second to just process. Pay fifty life. It's right. That is the cost I have to pay. Like if I don't have fifty life, I can't. I can't do it. I need at least. Oh, I need at least fifty one. Yes. I, so it's, stupid. I, I love it. This is clearly a commander card. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, I like it because it gives those, like, life gain decks. Because, let's be honest, life gain decks struggle in commander because you die to commander damage. You die to infect. You so die we, to mill. So when you really got a nuke or a feat coming at you, it's just <laughs> No, but, like, you know. I it, know. Like, okay, I'm at 200 life because I gained a bunch of life. And it's at the point where the table just says... Yeah, we don't care about your life total anymore. I'm not killing you that way. Now I just... I have this super huge resource where I go, Okay, this comes down. Can you counter it? No? Um, do 50 to you? Do 50 <laughs> to you? Do 50 to you? I win? For four mana? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, I do 50 to you, and then this person responds with uh, uh, and Grip, and I kill one person, but I kill one person for four mana... Like, that's sweet. I like that. It's cool. I do like the uh, the notable reaction that I've seen that Chris told me about today is that you have to get to 51. Yeah. Because you yep. pay 50 life, all of a sudden you're at zero and you instantly lose. So you can't even deal the damage. But you can't even, you need, you can only pay as much life as you have that keeps you alive. Oh, so you can't even you trigger need 51. it? Okay, I was under the impression that you would pay 50 oh, and immediately lose. Me from it, there's just nothing you could do. That's funny. That's good. Uh, best card in the set. I, I totally agree. Alright, so... I'm now, kids. Nope. It's it's sweet. It's Alright, TCG. Martin, you know, throw that price up there because yeah, it's going up. Yeah, just drive it wild. <laughs> Alright. So that's our top eight. I'm going to take this away. Because uh, I think we had a lot of things to talk about there. I think um, I think we kind of covered our second topic a little bit with it with our top eight. But is there anything else we want to add? Like, how is this set going to affect Magic as a whole? Like, we talked about how this set's affecting Commander clearly with Kevin. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but is this going to change Standard at all, or is the Standard still going to be Standard? So I think this is going to radically change standard, and if not because of the set that we have right now coming out, Kaladesh, I think we're going to see a huge change in standard because of rotation itself. Yeah. You know, we're finally getting into that two-block system they've been talking about. We're no longer going to have an awkward block that is Origins and Dragons of Dark Year. We're going to have nothing but blocks that were mostly designed around this. I say mostly because they have cited that BFZ block was originally a three-block set, it sounds like Shadows still had a little bit of remnants. Three set from... block? Yeah. It was originally three sets. No, no, you said three blocks. Three blocks. Oh, three blocks. Whatever. You know what that I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is the first one that's actually designed from the ground up as this is two sets in this block. Gotcha. Whereas all the other ones, it's been a design choice that was done later, development. I don't remember which one it is. But I think that's a really cool thing is I think we're going to see the cards from. Kaladesh and Aether Revolt play a lot better with each other than we have seen cards in those other sets play with each other. So I think we're going to get just an all-around better standard environment. Not to mention, I think we have a few boogeymans of standard rotating out with like Collected Company, Jermocus Command, like some real big role players getting out. And I think it's also interesting that we saw like one of our best 
artifact removal spells leaving the format in the form of Kolagon's Command. Oh, weird. Um, I actually looked... Uh, green is, funny enough, one of the few colors that really deals with artifacts too well in Standard right now. Uh, red can't do it. At which, all? Not very well at all, because it's incredibly out of their... Co- Normally, their color pie supports them destroying artifacts. Um, after the set comes out and we lose Origins and Cons, if I'm not mistaken, there's two red artifact destruction cards in the form of Ruinous Goblin, which is a one drop that's got two and a red, sacrifice it, destroy target artifact, and Demolish, which is three and a red, sorcery speed, destroy target artifact or target land. Which is just kind of shocking that they went that low, because obviously with you playing as many artifacts as the set is trying to push you into, we need more artifact removal. And I was just really surprised that red of all colors had so little access, let alone so little in the way of efficient artifacts. Like, they would kill for a caustic caterpillar, which is okay, but like it's not an amazing card. But having the caustic caterpillar that can't hit enchantments and is one more mana really sucks. Do you think they went that route because they didn't want it to develop into, you know, one and two drop artifact removal spells being destroyed target creatures in essence? Frankly, I think it was an oversight. I think the fact we don't even have Shatter is just outrageous. I mean, we've got, you know, to that degree, I have Natural State from uh, Oath of the Gatewatch, which is destroy target artifact converted mana cost three or less. Um, I've got, I think it's what, Fragmentize, which is the white one drop one, which is four or less. Like, I've got spells that do it just fine. It's just I don't have them in red, which is weird. And that's, like, my issue with it is just for whatever reason in Standard, they decided Red doesn't destroy artifacts like it used to. And, you know, they've even pushed themselves away from doing, like, land destruction. You know, that's not an element we see too often. But they always have a really expensive land destruction card. And in this case, we have Demolish, which is a four-mana one. But four mana is the rate in Red that I'm paying to destroy an artifact, something we're fine with Red doing. And it feels weird that I can get land destruction almost as easily. When that's something we fundamentally don't want to be doing. Hmm. So I thought that was just kind of an interesting choice they made with Standard as a whole. Um, with Modern, I think a lot of these cards, especially like the Energy cards, really need Aether Revolt to come out to fully flesh it out. There are a few cards that I think can see play. You know, we did talk about Chandra a little bit. Some people are talking about playing her in like a Burn deck, which I don't necessarily agree with. Others are talking about making her the 4-drop for Jund which I think there's a possibility for, but Kalidus is just really powerful. So I can't really see that happening. Um, the Cathartic Reunion, I think, is the only one that's really going to make a big modern impact, because I think that's very good in Dredge. I could be wrong. It's one of those cards that just needs the testing to see if late game it can still do what it wants to do, because it has to be played on turn two, it feels like. Otherwise, your hand's going to start getting mauled too much that you can't do anything with it. As a whole, I think this isn't going to have a huge impact at all on Legacy, and by you know further extent, I don't see much that's going into Vintage. Um, some of the weird artifacts we have, they might have homes I just haven't realized, or other people haven't realized it, because like that's a cool thing with you know, Aetherworks. Uh, what was it, Marvel or what, what's what the name? thing? No, what's the name? Reservoir. Of Reservoir. Reservoir. Pay 50 life. Uh, yeah, pay 50 life one. Like, they did a lot of really cool things with artifacts. They did unique things because they were inventions. You know, they wanted to give that little bit of a flavor idea, but it also gave them 
the design space, make a goofy card that's an artifact, and just see what happens. You know, the Panharmonicon is one of those cards. Mm -hmm. The Aetherworks Marvel is one of those cards. Like Actually, uh, Panharmonicon, I believe, was actually designed by Mark Rosewater himself. Yes, it was. Really? Uh, he loves his duplicate effects. He loves doubling things. Doubling Season is a card he had designed by himself as well, and it was because he wanted to make doubles of things. Turns out it's a really cool card and does a lot of really neat stuff, and people are a huge fan of the card. But yeah, he just likes doubling stuff. You know, one we didn't mention for like kind of the weirdness is like Gear Per Ori, which is the four drop one where each player may play an additional land on each of his or her turns. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, if that player has no cards in their hand, that player draws three cards. It's so, that close to my list. Yeah, it's another good one. Like, it was that close to my honorable mentions. Like, you know, it's a really cool card. It does unique things. And a lot of the artifacts in the set do unique, cool things. And that's what I really like about it, that I think this set as a whole just adds to magic, is we see unique cards getting printed. We that's see, right. you know, it's not as creature focused or as spell focused so we're seeing weird artifacts that i can burn later or activate later for different effects and i think that's really neat you think that's what wizard was trying to do with all these artifacts they wanted to bring like they wanted to justify artifacts as a way to throw out these weird like uh triggers and stuff like that and see what the player base thought or oh i, I definitely think so i mean when we go back to like the original mirrodin block which was like the first artifact set that anyone gave a damn about like antiquities was an artifact theme but it really didn't pan didn't out matter. in the same way yeah. like so when we go to mirrodin things were a little bit scarier because it's when we were creating equipment we've always had like magic had had sword like they had weapons that you would you know tap to give effects to creatures or what have you but we never had something that they could actually hold or they felt like they could hold and they solved that problem by making equipment and we didn't quite know what it was yet. And it got heavily overshadowed by the artifact lands, the affinity ability. Oh, there was just so much more that was more powerful you could be doing with artifacts, with cards like Arcbound Ravager. And because of that, we got a little freaked out by what artifacts meant. So we didn't really want to revisit artifacts too much, let alone completely colorless artifacts. So the next time we really did something like that was in the Alara block. And that's when they introduced the colored artifacts, when we started seeing... Esper stuff, I believe. Yeah, all the Esper stuff. Because they had an artifact theme to them, but it was how do we make them feel like artifacts while still giving them color to not have that problem. So they did that. You know, another big time we did it wasn't necessarily artifacts, but it was... Um, you know, we saw it obviously in Scars of Mirrodin block, but they did the same thing. They started pulling that colored artifact theme in, and they even played a little bit with the Phyrexian mana, which both gave a color and didn't give a color. So that was like a little bit of a juggling act. But we also saw it really heavily in the Battle for Zendegar and Oath of the Gatewatch block. They weren't artifacts, but they were colorless. And it became, how do we make something that's colorless without having everything be too linear, too powerful, going to too many decks? And that's where they came up with the Devoid mechanic. Gotcha. Because it had a color in it, but it was colorless. So it was still restrictive of where it could go. And we got to kind of expand on it. And then we also got the the colorless uh, mana symbol, which yeah. also is just like, yeah, it can go in any deck, but you also have to build your land base around you it. You need to build around it. And what I think was really cool about this set is every time they've come to something like that, if this colorless creature, this colorless creature, this one they did artifacts, and not only did they give us vehicles, which are almost like 
they're a different take on equipment essentially they gave us so many just weird artifacts that aren't what artifacts normally do you know there are a lot of these weird little effects a lot of them feel really blue to me for whatever reason um blue and green mostly but like there are all these weird little like trinkets and just like strange ideas instead of like efficient creatures and you know, it was a little bit like, let's play with these cards in Limited. Let's play with them. You know, some of these are going to find their way into Constructed. I know there's one of the Puzzle Knots people are looking to play. Um, they just, they have cool positions, and that's what I really like about them, is we built a lot of things that are either inspired from old cards, you know, like we had mentioned with the Fox earlier. I think he is inspired partly by Solemn Simulacrum is he's a very, very similar card. I just realized we never actually said Sad Robot's actual Robot. name. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's the thing. I, you know, I told you that a long time ago, just magic cards will become the wrong name after yep. a while. And that's what I think is cool, is they've gone on this whole route with artifacts, and I think it's very positive for this game, because this is a time they're printing an artifact set, and I don't feel terrified for the future of magic. You feel like it's going to be fun. Yeah. I feel like it's fun. They do a lot of things that are neat and interesting, yeah. and that's what has me excited for the set. Speaking of fun, this is our last topic of the day. The thing that has me less excited for the set. No, the thing that is super excited. <coughs> um, uh, how do I introduce this? So, a couple weeks ago, was it a couple weeks by now, that uh, about, they said yeah. that they wanted to... Wizards of the Coast said they wanted to make standard more... Accessible. Accessible to everyone. And I, so, for the time, for for time immemorial, until they say otherwise, they're going to print these super awesome cards called Masterpieces. Masterpieces are, they're all reprints, correct? Uh, what they are designed to look, what it's looking like is we're going to see some new cards, which are going to be in the set. Right. And then reprints. Okay. Um, if there is a masterpiece getting printed, it will be printed elsewhere at some point. Okay. So you'll ne what they've committed to is we'll never have like some super awesome card that is only available as a masterwork. These will all be available in at least one other place. So masterpiece has was immediately branded by the community as uh, Zendikar's Expeditions. Yep. This is exactly what they are. Yep. Zendikar's Expeditions were a test run for this. And supposedly, not everyone is happy about it. This is true. Cody? <laughs> <coughs> well, let me run you through the list real quick. All right, let's go through the list. So we're getting 54 in the block. 54. We're getting 30 in this set. 30. We open up with some cards we're a little familiar with. Okay. In the way of Cataclysmic Gearhawk, Torrential Gearhawk, Noxious Gearhawk. Noxious Gearhawk's really good. We didn't talk about him. No, we didn't. Uh, combustible we, Gearhawk. Are we just getting all the Gearhawks as masterpieces? Yes. Verterous Gearhawk. <laughs> and then we move into some older cards in the form of Static Orb. Steel Overseer, Sword of Feast and Famine, Sword of Fire and Ice, Sword of Light and Shadow, Solemn Simulacrum, or Sad Robot, Soul Ring, Sculpting Steel, Mox Opal, Painter's Servant, Mana Vault, Lotus Petal, Lightning Greaves, Skull Rack, Rings of Bright Hearth, <laughs> Mind's Eye, Crucible of Worlds, Cloudstone Curio, okay. Chrome Mox, oh, yeah. Chromatic Lantern, oh, yeah. Hangerback Walker, okay. Gauntlet of Power, mm -hmm. Mana Crypts, yeah. Aether Vial, mm -hmm. And Champion's Helm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're getting a lot of power. A lot of really powerful master, cards. In these masterpieces. Um, it's also, I think, been dubbed by a lot of members of the community as masterpieces for commander players. 
Yes, a lot of these are huge commander staples uh, that really see no play in any other format. So, how does this make standard more accessible? So, um, it gives people like me a reason to buy standard packs. Okay. Normally, I would just buy the singles I need and call it a day. There's that little temptation of, well, I could spend, you know, what is it, three ninety nine plus tax per pack, or you know, I'd spend, you know, hundred hundred dollars in a box and try to pull one of these for significantly less, and that means more boxes open, which means that there's more, um, more product in the more world. More product. Um, there's more supply for the demand. Um, gotcha. I don't want to play standard, so ninety nine percent of what I open, I'm getting rid of. Which makes it cheaper for standard players. We've actually seen this price suppression already. If you look at the set as a whole, the estimated value for a box is reasonable, but it's not amazing. A lot of the cards, especially the non-Mythic cards, have been suppressed in their price. Um, regardless of how much play they may see, how much people are specking on them, so on and so forth. But what we are seeing is the existence of these cards does make the rest of standard cheaper. That is correct. In um, in Mark Rosewater's article, he does have to say it makes standard more accessible. They, you know, it's been a big thing for Wizards and Hasbro for a long time. They can't really acknowledge the secondary market because at that point, you know, they basically can acknowledge that they, you know, they spend 15 cents printing something that, 15 cents, I'm being super generous there. <laughs> they spend a penny printing something that's worth, you know, 200 bucks. Mm -hmm. They can't acknowledge that because it's got to be completely interpreted by the players of what the cards are worth. Yeah. So that's how we're seeing standard get suppressed here because a lot of these cards I just mentioned to you, almost all of them, all of them are over $40. Yeah, um, makes sense. A vast majority of them are over $50. Um, there are a few that break the $100 mark, a few that break the $200 mark. Like some of these are really expensive cards. And the reasoning behind that is, you know, it's the same thing of why a foil is worth money. It's an alternate version that's rare. These are foiled cards or premium cards as Wizards calls it. Um, you know, they're gonna be your foil cards. They're special. They're gonna replace a common in your pack. They are playable in draft or sealed. And some of these are really, really powerful cards. So, okay, let me get this straight. It makes non-standard people buy standard, mm -hmm. which creates more product for the customers. Yep. Which drives down the price for for new and old players alike because yep. everyone likes saving money. Yep. So, as I've heard so far, it, this is just a net positive for everyone. No. And it's kind of a greedy reason of why I say no. Um, why do you say no, collector Cody? That's exactly why. <laughs> I'm a collector. I have invested a lot of money in my collection, and a lot of people can judge you for that action that, you know, it can be stupid to do so, but there, there is a lot of equity to be, to be gained with Magic. I mean, if you were investing in Black Lotuses in 1994 as opposed to literally any stock market, you would be making more money. Yeah. yeah. You just, right. that's a proven, that's true. it's a proven article. Yeah. Like, the numbers are there to back it up. Like, this game has played out as an investment, as many card games do. Um, I call myself a collector as opposed to someone who's in the finance market because I'm not just buying and flipping cards on the regular. That's not what I do anymore. I used to do that a while ago. But what I do is I do like to build up these collections over time. And what's terrifying to me is some of the choices of cards they've had on this list. 
in particular, uh, Solar, Sol Ring and Mana Crypt are terrifying choices on this <laughs> list. Um, Sol Ring, I not too long ago finally got my hands on an FTV Relic Sol Ring, which was one of the earlier versions. I don't remember if it was the first version or not. Of I think a Josh Foil came first. I don't know. But it was it's one of the two versions of Foil Sol Ring. So it's got a little bit of a price tag on it. It's not too bad. However, I did want to get the original Mark Teton art. I wanted to get that foil as opposed to a beta one because I like foil cards as a whole. So I invested in the Judge foil one. What freaks me the hell out... I would say you said terrifying. ...is a card I invested a large amount of money just got reprinted in a new premium format mm -hmm. that is similar to... Frankly, it's similar to a Judge foil. It's definitely more available than a judge foil but because of the alternate way that you receive that card and it's not just you know i'm not getting that card as often it makes it worth a lot more inherently and as someone like myself i seek it out because of that so the plus side definitely is that you do see that happen where the rest of the set goes down but what you see happen also is the prices of older versions of these foils go down pretty dramatically. A great example okay. you see is the Return to Ravnica set of Shocklands and the Kanzatark here set of Fetchlands plummeted in price when the Expeditions came out. Granted, the Expeditions are really cool, but you know me saying that, it kind of puts that same mentality in a collector's. You know, if I invested so much money in my entire mana base of foil shocks. I mean, you can call someone stupid for that. You know, they're dumb and they should have expected, you know, the bottom to fall out. It doesn't make it feel any better. Yeah. It makes it feel awful. And when you take a player such as myself, I've talked quite a bit about when Expeditions came out, if they did this in future sets, it would probably hurt my collection significantly to the point I would downsize heavily. And knowing that this is going to happen consistently with some sort of theme, whether it be enchantments or creatures or lands again, because they really hate me, um, <laughs> you know, it just it gives me a little bit of that feeling of why bother collecting. In a weird kind of way, I'm going to tie this together. Is look at the amiibo market. Okay. There was a strong scarcity for a long time. Yeah. As a collector, I was really attracted to that. I liked hunting for these things. I liked searching high and low for them, you know, going store to store to be disappointed. But when you found it, as a collector, that feeling is exhilarating. Even sometimes when I say screw it, and, you know, I spent 50 bucks on my Marth. You know, stupid things that, you know, I can find Marth in stores in the That hot first edition Marth, though. The Marth is barely different. If you want to talk first edition, we talk villager. <laughs> but I'm so lost. You know, the thing with that market for a large portion of the collectors, and I've seen it in the community quite a bit, is they started giving heavily reprinted. And they originally had ones that were exclusive to stores in the United States, which was frustrating as all hell that yeah. we had ones that were exclusive to stores. But was more frustrating as someone who waited in line at a GameStop for four hours so I can get my NES pre-ordered and then their system crashed and I had to wait another two hours was the fact that I can find NES in any Toys R Us I go to now because he's not exclusive anymore. And I, you know, I've always talked about, you know, I feel okay having a card when it's expensive if it's something I'm playing for a tournament. 
and it gets reprinted like a Tarmogoyf or something. I feel okay with a Tarmogoyf getting reprinted, and if he gets reprinted in the ground, he's a $50 card instead of where he's at now. I'm okay with that because I'm buying the time to use that card, but these are collector's pieces. These are kind of a different market than, say, reprinting Tarmogoyf into the ground or Snapcaster or Liliana. They're not collector's pieces. Now, you, you do bring up Tarmogoyf, and that was kind of the special case in which that got reprinted and yet its price went up. Is there anything that you see that could come out where that could happen instead of everything just plummeting and becoming worth less as so time goes on? I think that would be pretty rare if something like that could happen because Turbogoy's price went up when Modern Masters 1 hit. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is we started getting more Tarmogoyfs into people's hands, but they needed four of that Tarmogoyf. You can't play Tarmogoyf in any number less. He's just the king of efficiency. All he wants to do is beat in at a really efficient rate. So efficiently, you want to have as many as you can. Yeah. And you, as many as you can have is four. So you want four Tarmogoyfs. So for every person that gets one Tarmogoyf and doesn't immediately see that it's something they can turn and you know sell for a profit or what have you, they need three more. And so because of that, we're not necessarily creating more inventory for Tarmogoyf, which sounds incorrect because there are just more Tarmogoyfs in the world. But now we have more people who want Tarmogoyfs. Gotcha. And every person that wants a Tarmogoyf wants three more to go with their first one. And that's not going to happen with the with some of this stuff? Especially not this collection in particular. This collection, is, you know, like you mentioned, is so centered around EDH staples. Say, like, I think the only one is... Uh... What is it, Mox? All the Moxes see heavy EDH play. No, no, no. The one that gets played in uh, Modern. Aethervile? Oh, Aethervile too. Mox Opal. Those two, maybe. Um, but most, I don't think most Modern players are like, I have to have my Expeditions. No, and even then, I think all you're going to do is you're going to suppress the price of the... You know, if you went and spent... 100 bucks on your old Aether Vials, congratulations, you've got crappy Aether Vials now. And I think that's what's going to happen, is all this is going to do is suppress the original foil printings, and it almost creates this image that those ones aren't worth anything to you either, because they're not the good foils, they're, you know, they're the backup foils, and you know, someone who's going to tell me I'm wrong on that one, and I get it, you know, I... I think that's also going to come down to, because we've talked about this with, like, Tarmogoyf, good art versus the bad art and you know some people are like well the old art's clearly better and so yeah. they're like well no the new art's clearly better yeah I, our, um, I think it's so subjective it's really hard because it's it's really rare that we can we have like a consensus on one that is better than the other uh, random quick question do you think going forward there's going to be an artifact or something that is printed and people will say I'll just wait for the masterpiece to come out to get it. Like, is that going to affect anything at all? I think that's also assuming that we can somehow predict how they're going to decide what they're doing with each set. That's true. Because, I mean, like, I think we know right now, like, the next set's also going to be artifacts. But that doesn't mean the next block's going to be artifacts. It might be, you know, five years before we see artifacts. We might not ever see an artifact masterpiece again. So masterpieces can be anything? Yeah. Yes. Okay. But I know damn well the sort of body and mind and war and peace are going to be in the next set. And I won't touch a foil of those because of that. 
I'm saying. And then you look at stuff like like Hangerback Walker was just in this last block. Yeah. Like. And the other problem like this creates is this is rough for stores a lot of the time. Like you know you can't acknowledge the secondary market, but there's a little bit of a you need to acknowledge the secondary market. Yeah. And they have to of you know I've seen so many foil sort of feast and famine lately that people have been trying to dump off. I've been seeing people just fire sailing these stupid things because they know that they're going to be just worth nothing. Both, you know, the judge foil and the pack foil. Same goes for fire and ice. Same goes for light and shadow. And I've seen them all over the place. And like, that's, what's kind of crazy about them is they create this weird panic for other people who are collectors, such as myself, like, out of the three swords, the only one I've picked up so far is the Foil, Feast, and Famine. And frankly, I don't know what the hell I want to do with it now because, you know, it's it's really pretentious, but it's it's not the best one anymore. The Masterpiece is the new gold standard. I kind of like... I think the only sword I like here is the Sword of Light and Shadow. The other two are too... I don't know. I really like I think them. they're inferior, but that's me. No, I mean, that's fair. And, you know, we always come down to artistic preference. Art is preference. But, yeah. like, a humorous thing is my Obnixilis deck. There are three foils I need to complete the deck out right now. Are they all in there? Uh, no. One of, them? one of them is not, and I think it's getting printed. So I'm not, <laughs> I won't buy it right now, which is really annoying. Um, Gauntlet of Power and Solemn Simonacrom are both in the deck. But I also need Swiftfoot Boots. And I, I think that's coming. I don't want to dare touch it. So you were exactly what I was talking about. Is yeah. that you you already see this and you're looking forward and you're like, why would I bother to track down X card now? Exactly. Because it could just be a masterpiece in a couple years and then I'll just get that one. Yeah, and like you know, the thing for me on like this particular instance is I think it could be a masterpiece in a few months. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think it's gonna be the it's gonna happen in years. I think it's gonna be we know next block is X type of cards, so it's going to affect how I buy X type of cards. So, yeah. Like, right now, I'm going to buy foil creatures because I want my foil creatures. Um, but if they said next block, hey, we're doing masterpieces on creature cards, I might be like, well, I might want to wait and see what happens. You guess, might hold off until that block is done. Yeah, I guess that's... I guess that's the question now. Does this just throw the market into flux more often now because of what could be printed as masterpieces? I think it does, and that's a really weird thing. And not to mention, like, as a collector, I think this does, like, I own every expedition. I own multiples of most expeditions <coughs> at this point. Excuse me. Um, and it kind of sucks that I regret doing that a little bit because of this. But the other thing that kind of frustrates me is just the fatigue this is putting on me as a collector. Yeah. You know, they're telling me I'm going to have 50 per block, which is 100 per year, which is almost two per week that I have to somehow acquire. Yeah, like, that sounds wallet hurting. Yeah, when you break it down that way, it's wallet and collection hurting, or, you know, I'm cracking cases like crazy. Like, it's just, it feels like too much is my problem. Yeah. And I think the other issue I have with this that some people strongly disagree with, it feels like we're just introducing another rarity. But we're being quiet about how we're doing it. And I don't like that. That's, yeah, I can see that. That's basically, I mean, what it's going to be. It's going to be ultra rare. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that's what I think kind of bothers me even more is, you know, yes, people have gotten over what Mythics are. Because when Mythics came out, people, you know, it's the end of the game. We're Yu-Gi-Oh! now. We're Pokemon. You know, they have so many rarities. And it didn't kill the game. 
But I don't want to keep playing with that fire because I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. It's a slippery slope. Yeah, I, you know, I don't even want to say it's a slippery slope necessarily because, like, you know, we see it all the time with how much it sucks with a mythic because mythic are where the prices tend to get. You know, the mythics are where the prices tend to be. They're where the larger, more impressive cards tend to be. But you know, we've even talked about how much it's going to suck. When you open a Gearhawk, and the guy across from you opens that Mana Vault that's 300 bucks. Yeah. Like, yep. Well, I, I don't know if I'd say it, it sucks, because it's a $4 pack. You just pulled a $50 card. A $50 card you can't sell because it has no value, because no one cares, and it has an artificial value because of its rarity slot. Back to why I don't like the new rarity slot. I'm totally system. fine with the $50 card, though. See, that's like, the thing. it's like, still better than a lot of what you can pull on the side. Like, that was the problem, is when you look at, like, the Tango Expeditions, is no one cares. You can't buy list them worth anything. You can't sell them to stores because they don't want them. So, yes, on TCG Player, it does say they're worth $30 plus. I dare you to try and get that. You can find a collector who will trade for it, and that's the problem, is they create this perceived value that some of the cards don't even necessarily have because of their false rarity at this new rarity level. And that is my problem with them, is we're taking a garbage card that has no relevance outside of this format. Like, you know, maybe it's cool for cube. It doesn't. And we're giving it value because it has this new rarity. And that's my problem with it. That's why I'm not okay with it. Because the difference is I'm pulling a card that artificially has that value because of its rarity versus the first time Mana Vault has ever been printed in foil. If I want a black border Mana Vault, I'm either paying like 300 bucks for a foreign black border, or I'm paying like five to $600 for a beta one. Now, thankfully, I can get this one, which is far more common, and there's gonna be more out there. But like, that's the issue, is, you know, not only are these making cards that don't deserve their value have value that isn't really there, they're just jacking up collector's collections. I mean, you're you're outdating my Cloudstone Curio foil. You're making my Judge Foil Crucible of Worlds feel stupid. You know, my Lightning Greaves aren't as nice as they once were. The Lotus Petal that was only an FTV, thank God that got replaced. You know, there's a few of these I'm really happy for. And I think they look really cool. It, it, it almost upsets me I'm not excited for these, but I have a decent reason to not be excited for them. How much of the magic market do collectors take up? Is I'm, is this a is this a needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few situation? I think these are ultimately going to be good for the game, but he just I, happens I, to be in the loser boat right now. I'm in the losers bracket on this one. I really am, and that's the thing is I you're gonna find more kitchen table players, more standard players than you ever will collectors. But it kind of sucks to have my my face spit in this way. Yeah. Because if you told me there were, were going to be two of these per set, I'd seek them. No problem. I think they were cool. I can get down with them. But 50% is just an overwhelming number of them. I mean, even seeking out my expeditions, like, it was, aside from buying ones on TCG Player, which I didn't want to do because the cards weren't printed very well, because the way they were cut would just it would just lacerate on the edge and you'd see like this jagged foil only where like the film that went over the card got torn somehow. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't want to buy them online because I'd want to verify their condition in person. 
And, you know, it took me months and months to get them all because of that. I'd buy them as I saw them, but, like, even just trolling through my local stores, like, I didn't see a lot of them for a long time. And that's the same thing I even think if I dare to try and collect all of these. On the opposite side, I'm really excited for them. <laughs> yeah, I'm not super um, positive about them. Like, but Kevin likes them. I think they're cool. Um, I like them. They're shiny new cards. I'm not the super hyper collector that Cody is, but I am probably in roughly the same boat of, I like my pretty things in my commander decks. And there's some of these that I'm definitely going to go after (coughs) at some point, because I am fooling out some of my commander stuff. And there's some of them I'm just not going to touch, because I think the other arts are better. Um, And there's, to me, like, saying, like, oh, all my artifacts have to be masterpieces now. I'm not on that mindset. Lance... Like, my lands, yes. Like, all my lands either have to be some other kind of art, or they need to be the expeditions, because it's more, like, connected. But I think these, it's just like, yeah, I want my Crucible Worlds to look like this, because I think this looks cool. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think the original one looks better. I was going to say, that's just wrong. There's some Crucible's way better. Yeah, it was the first thing I thought of. Um, God, that Judge Worlds got those mud borders. Oh, it's so pretty. Um... I mean, for example, I'm going to steal your phone. There you um, go. That was the sound of my back breaking under the pressure <laughs> of Masterpieces. Um, Solemn Simulacrum. I think this looks... This is the best sound. Period. It looks cooler. It's sleek, black. It's awesome. Uh, sort of Fire and Ice. I think this one looks stupid. Bing! I like that one. It's like the I, glove one that you like put on. It, it, I think it looks stupid. I don't know how the hell Rafik's Lion's going to hold that, but damn it, he's going to do it. Um, I am undecided on the Lightning Greaves. I'm probably just going to go with, you know, another version. Just because nothing excites me about this, but I don't particularly care for any of the other ones. Question for you, Cody. Yeah. Um, would it make you feel better if Masterpieces, in a way brought the the thrill of collecting to more people there's definitely a little bit of an edge to that i mean it's it is my favorite part of the hobby as a whole and that is cool to think about you know i saw it with other people who were collecting expeditions with me it was always kind of fun to like you know they'd see i have one like oh which ones do you have like that was always a little bit fun for me was to kind of compare and contrast yeah it it reminded me of playing pokemon as a kid and base that when you know you'd compare your collection, you compare your binder, which you know I still do with Magic every so often. I, you know, whenever someone wants to trade with me, they get the trade binder, and you know, they usually see I have another binder on me, which isn't for trades. And it's you know every so often they get excited to thumb through it and look and like, oh, that's really cool. Like, I have stolen get... your binder to show to customers before. Yeah, it's I have I've got a couple of cool things in there, and like, you know, there that is I think a good point is it may bring other people into collecting. It's just, I think it's an overwhelming number of items. Okay. I think that... Um, I think that really boils down to my biggest problem. Consider it this way. Instead of collecting all masterpieces, someone, like Kevin said, he wants all his lands to be as beautiful as possible. Mm. Which, by the way, I'm not doing the expedition. Because <laughs> I just think that most of them are inferior. So what if, like, say, instead of, I want to collect all masterpieces, I want to collect all... Artifact masterpieces. I want to collect all creature masterpieces. I want to collect all land masterpieces. Like, would that be more of a like 
easier thing to swallow, or is that still not? Is that still too much? I think that'll be something I'll probably get down with a little bit more because I see myself getting this entire set. Um, of course you do. Um, I think what this is ultimately going to do is Cody's like the spiky. You're a spiked player. You're a spiky collector. You're. I need to have it all. I want it all. That's right. I think this <laughs> is going to be better for the casual collector, the guy that's like. Dude, I got this really sweet card in a trade, or I cracked this pack open and I ripped out this sweet foil. I'm sleeping it up and putting my binder. It's not for trade. It's part of my collection. But like, I'm not the collector that completes whole sets. Right. It's, it's my just cool thing. This is my binder of shiny things. This is yep. my binder of cool stuff. There's no real theme. There's no real like. I completed one through twenty. It's just these are really cool things. These are things I like, and here it is. Yeah. So masterpieces, yeah or nay? Nay. I'm yay. I wish they didn't exist. There's no Aetherflux Reservoir masterpiece, so I'm nay. See, they're terrible. <laughs> I told you. But once that comes out, and you know it will. Oh my god, what if we get a Lupine prototype? Oh! <laughs> Lupine prototype masterpiece, day one, I'll buy six of them. 20 bucks. <laughs> you know, I'll take it. Yeah, well, that's too fancy, man. Nope. Just no. Golden Lupine prototype that wouldn't be sweet? Just blinged out, puppy. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know, man. See, the interesting thing about it is, like, say we get enchantments next. I see myself buying enchantments. But if they do creatures, I see myself cherry-picking. Okay. Which is totally... I think that's what they kind of want you to do. They probably just want me to cherry-pick. Yeah. And they probably think that's the reasonable route, but that's just, it's not what I am. I, I like owning everything. True. I think at some point... They're gonna run out of themes, and it's just gonna be like they'll stop masterpieces for a while. Then. They might stop masterpieces, or they might just go the hmm. We're just gonna do random cards. Ooh, that seems like a real. And I think that ultimately that might even be the best route because there is no predicting. Ergo, there's no reason for you mm. not to buy the there's foil. There's no that you market want. weirdness. Gotcha. At that point, I just like. And there's no way you can't call this an extra rarity when it's just random. Like, not, yeah, I mean, you're not even fair. trying to theme it. <laughs> um, it's just like, yeah, man, like Termogoyf again. Like, wait, we had we had three Termogoyfs we were stretching already with graveyard theme and creature theme and Lurgoyf theme. I don't know why it's Lurgoyfs. <laughs> there's only a few of them. But like, yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't like them. Well, that's my um, stand. I, I just, I don't understand how they're going to keep going with themes. Yeah, I don't either. I feel like because, they're going to run out soon. You hit lands already. We're going to have vehicles in like two years. There's just not a lot of vehicles. You know what theme you're going to enjoy the heck out of? Huh. When they go ahead and do elves. Elves would be cool. Yeah, you know all those foils you just bought? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, most of those foils aren't stupid expensive. Nope. Well. Guys, Cradle's not expensive at all. Do you have that foil? It's coming. I think. I was trying all, to collect all the judge foils. I think we've all said our piece about Kaladesh. I think so. Are you excited for Kaladesh at the very least? Masterpieces aside. Without the sadness and the melancholy <laughs> that is Masterpieces, I am really excited for okay. this. I think it's going to be amazing limited. I think it's going to revitalize Standard in a positive way. It's got a lot of tools I want for EDH. It's got a couple cards that slot in the modern. Like, it's just got a lot of fun cards, and I think that's the coolest thing is I think they've captured that theme of we want you to feel like an inventor. Yeah. And that's what excites me about it. Kevin? 
You excited for Kaladesh for EDH? I have been playing Magic in and out. I've been in and out of Magic since the original Ravnica block. And I think that this is probably the best set I've seen printed. Wow. You're comparing it to the original Ravnica? That's bold, man. I think that it has just a bunch of cool stuff for everybody. Um, it does, like, one of the goals with the set is, like, we want the set, like, as individual cards to be cheap for everybody. Yeah. With, like, a high end for the people that can afford it. And that's really cool to me. I think that's a huge bonus. Um, and there's just cards printed for... I don't want to say every format, because, I mean, like we said, we don't see a lot of this being played in Legacy. You don't see a lot getting printed for Vintage. <laughs> yeah, you just don't see a lot being printed for Vintage. Um, but, I mean, like, it's printed for casual and competitive players alike. There's some stuff that might make it to Modern. I, I think that's just sweet. Yeah. They did a all-around banged-up job. You know, even Maro said that he thinks this is contention for his number one set he's ever designed. I... That's putting out Innistrad. I go back and forth on Mario. Innistrad is love. This time I agree with him. How about you, Rob? How do you feel about this set? You excited? Yeah. Yeah. I am the Eldrazi. As I say, like, no, no like, Eldritch Horror. Yeah, You're the one person who wants Eldrazi. <laughs> you back. swore you would never play Commander, and then I said, hey, Rob, this set's Cthulhu. <laughs> uh, yeah, I never. I swore I would never play Magic, and then I got super into Magic Story because it was Cthulhu in Magic. And now that it's gone away from that and it's doing something else, that's great. And I'm happy for it. I'm glad it's not stuck in, sticking to one theme. But, you know, machines and steampunk and, like, magic is outlawed type of fantasy, I'm not really a big fan of. So, as, like, someone from the outside of this entire mythos looking in, cool, but not for me. I'll come back when the Eldrazi comes back because that's just what I'm interested in. That's fair. Okay. It's hard to argue with. Yeah. Everyone's got their own unique interest about the game, and that's what makes it so damn rich. All right. Obviously, I do have cards that I'm interested in, but the set as a whole... Me. Meh. I mean, I, I, I like the massive pieces. I will probably see what happens when I try and open a pack and get one of those. I'll be happy. But other than that... Hopefully, I need it. Yeah, hopefully you need <laughs> it, and we'll talk. <laughs> Trade for a commander deck. There you go. A whole deck. Popper Commander. I was going to say, I can make it happen. You won't be thrilled. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. Uh, we're, I'm going to sign off here from all of the pandemonium. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching for the video peeps. Um, if you're watching this, you're just before our pre-release. We might have a couple more VIP packages left. Get yours today. It's sold out. Sorry. Um, we we just set that disappointing expectation. <laughs> you should have acted sooner. We we're might about do, to be in a really busy time period. We, and yeah, I want to enjoy some people suffering. We might, we might wow. do it again. I don't know. I'm not the guy who makes the shots. You know who makes the shots? One of those guys. I'm pointing at the my two. I'm part time. I don't make decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they let me make decisions around here. <laughs> I hate masterpieces. Um, what's coming? Okay, let's say we do this twice a month. What's coming up between now and next podcast? Okay, here's what's coming up between now and next podcast. We have a set release. We have a pre-release before that. We have a Yu-Gi-Oh! regional. We have a convention that we're going to be actually showing up at. And vending at. And vending at. And so, all the new releases that you can ever want. Oh, and uh, radio. Oh, what? I'm sorry? I forgot about that. I don't remember what date it is. Uh, it's uh, Monday. 
Six Monday. All right, so from the point that you're watching this, listen, listen to uh, tomorrow. What is it? 94... 94.7 W... Yeah, I don't know well enough to plug it on this. Uh, we'll plug it on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Looked at our Facebook, looked at our, looked like at our Twitter. 94.7. We're getting like blasted out of radio waves. From, like, front of our building. And really? If, like, an hour. I, they never tell me these things. That's kind of cool. We yeah. found out today. Huh. All right, well... See you guys tomorrow for that. Otherwise, you're listening to this in the far future. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching if it's a video. Um, we'll be back soon with more talking about stuff and things, but not things and stuff because that's when it gets a little bit weird. From all of us at Pando, I'm Rob. Kevin. Cody. <laughs> I said it. We'll see you guys next time. Peace out, Panda Mancers. Bye. Bye. What? Bye. You want me to what? I don't know. <laughs> That's just stupid. <laughs> what do you want to call them? Pay the peace. Pay the peace.